get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Too big a hole in about a 25-minute period where you didn't play hard enough. Yeah, it's like it's like digging a 20-foot hole and someone giving you an 11-foot ladder. It just ain't going to work. <laughs> so not great. Not a great second game against the LA Kings. And this has become the theme of the season. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues have a second game of the series problem right now, Alex. <laughs> That that is for damn sure. They have been outscored sixteen to four in the second game of the series. They okay. have been outshot one eleven to seventy five. That ain't great. They have taken twenty penalties in three games. That's really not great. On the second night of these two game series, they are zero for eleven on the power play. And the only players that have scored goals for the Blues in these second games of the series are Braden Shin. He has three of them in those games. That's awesome. And Ryan O'Reilly, the secondary scoring seemingly disappears. Alex, what's going on here? Why is this such a problem for the Blues to be able to put back back to back solid performances? All right, look, BK, I'm sick of the negativity as I walk into the building and that's what we start with. T-Bone, you too. I don't like the look on your face right now. Can we talk about the positives from game two of these series? In two of the three, the Blues led in both of them. Huh? Okay. In two of the three, the penalty kill didn't look horrible. Okay. Huh? Okay, that's all I got. I was about to say, please give me more. No, keep that's all coming. I got. That's all I got. We need to keep this trend going with you. <laughs> that's all I got because, okay. frankly, every time Craig Bruby has spoken after the second game of these series, it has been frustration. We all know the Colorado Avalanche game Ooh. and then the Sharks game where he called out his players and said they weren't playing hard enough. And then last night he comes with this post game and he says it's all about attitude. But can I give you some optimism from it? Please. I need an optimistic okay. Monday morning. I know from you do. Ferrario. If this is all about attitude, Blues are going to be fun. If this was more about structure and the fact that these guys are playing just terrible hockey, they don't look like who they usually are. I'd be concerned, right? If Colton Pareko looked terrible in the defensive zone, if there was no offense from this forward group throughout this season, I'd be concerned. But if this is an attitude adjustment situation, that can be fixed. And Joey and I talked about this on the postgame show last night, and I loved the point that he made. And I know this is going to sound like an excuse, but it's not because you always have to remind yourself that they're they're humans before they're athletes. And Joey said that he's talked with a lot of these players. And he said, right now, this season just feels inhumane. 
The players talked about how it feels like they're dogs trapped in a kennel, right? Where home games, you're home. Road games, which they only have played a couple of them, but you're in hotel rooms and that's about it. And the players told Joey, and again, this is just from the perspective of the actual players on the ice. As soon as we start feeling more like humans, we'll start feeling more like athletes. And again, however you want to look at that, I think is an interesting perspective. But for right now, they're coming out with the fire in the first game. They're coming out with the passion that you need from them in that first game. It just drops off in that second game. And right now it's the most confusing part of this hockey team. What you just said made me more nervous than what I had thought previously. I didn't hear that from Joey. That sounds very bubble-like. That sounds like the comments that we heard from the Blues both during and after they were eliminated from the bubble. Yeah. I don't think it's going to change. I think this is what the season's going to be. We have no reason to believe that in the next couple of months, things are just automatically going to start getting better. So the Blues need to adjust. I understand that things are going poorly for them in terms of what it's like to be playing sports right now. Hell, things ain't great for us either. Like, I I can't do the normal things yep. that I would want to do over the weekend, right? Alex, I know you are getting ready to have a baby with your, with your beautiful wife. I, it's not the normal way that you would go about yep. this part of the process. Your family can't be in the delivery area with you whenever your baby... Like, things are weird right now, right. and it's strange, and it's uncomfortable, and it makes us all a little cringy at times, mm-hmm. right? Eventually, you've got to be able to move past that. Eventually, you've got to understand that it's just going to be different. All right, now, how do we respond to that adversity? Mm -hmm. And if there's any one thing that has been the identity of Craig Berube-led Blues teams, it is their ability to respond to adversity. They They were the worst team in the league, and then they win the cup. Last year, you lose Vladimir Tarasenko, and you find a way to make it work without him scoring wise. This is the next thing. Maybe they're uncomfortable with the way that these games are going. Maybe it's weird not having fans in the stands. I'm sure that is difficult for them. But you got to find a way to respond, man. You did it in the bubble and you saw what happened. I thought this was going to change for them going into this season. But hearing those comments, it actually makes me nervous. I don't know how that changes unless they are willing to set things aside and say, you know what? Bleep this. We got to we got to make this happen for us. And I think that will come. I, I don't think this is the same as the bubble where it's just going to be in that same mindset because Joe did talk about how they're changing the rules and restrictions a little bit on the roads where they're going to allow these guys to go out from their hotel rooms. Ooh, they are. But they're going to do it in a very organized fashion, like they're going to take a bus out to the mountains and let them hike or something like that. Right. It's going to be like summer camp, basically, okay. not where, hey, go out to the bars, whatever you want. <laughs> like, that's not oh, what this is. I don't know if that's a good idea, but the NHL, I think, recognizes. Recognize it after what happened with the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin and his wife came out and kind of said, like, this is ridiculous right now. So that's going to change. But you're right to get away from that side of it and talk about the hockey side. It is concerning, but I do think as time goes on, it's going to be the adjustment factor. And Braden Shen said it best last night on the postgame show. He said that right now they know what the issue is but it's adjusting to the issue and fixing the problem because he said if we play 500 hockey we're not going to make the playoffs let's hear this this is Braden Shin after the game I thought he kind of spoke uh, Ryan O'Reilly did as well obviously but he, he sounded like a captain after the game with the way yep. that he was speaking to it here's Braden Shin after the game not playing night. full 60s um you know inconsistent uh we show spurts in the second game you know I, I think we we think it's going to be easier than it is sometimes because you get the first win and 
Uh, it's certainly not. And, and uh, so far through the, the short part of the season on, on the second game, um, we've been uh, very average. We've got to fix that. Well, and that's just it, BK. I think that the mindset is that it's just too easy because they came out last night. They were the better team in the first period. Like they were out playing LA. It stayed to five on five hockey. They scored that goal. Huso made some big saves. I think the shots were like eight to se- eight to four at one point in favor of LA, but Huso was coming up big. But that one penalty, it broke them. Go back to that Colorado Avalanche game where they lost eight to nothing. First period, it was zero zero. Colorado played better, but the Blues were still in that hockey game. The same with the San Jose Sharks. Zero zero. Blues were the better team in the first period. As soon as that penalty happens, or as soon as that one moment that breaks the stride and the confidence of the Blues, it falls apart. And I think that is related to the fact that you got a bunch of new faces on this roster that you're just trying to gel with still. And I know these all sound like excuses because the fans last night on postgame were saying, ah, Ferrario, stop making excuses for him. They just need to man up and play hockey. I get it. But there are factors that go into this season that you're you got to take into consideration with everything and i think that's where this blues team is at right now i give them 10 games bk 10 games before i sit here and say that's the blues team that we have this year we're getting close that's the end of the week yeah you're giving them this week basically and it's not going to get a whole lot easier no they're tougher games vegas is the best team maybe in hockey right now and that's who's coming that who the that's who the blues are going to be playing on Tuesday night, you'll hear that game right here on 101 ESPN. They also play them on Thursday. That'll be the second game of that back-to-back. And then over the weekend, Anaheim in a legitimate back-to-back situation Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. That's your 10-game mark. We're getting eerily close to being at the end of the regular season. We're already more than 10% of the way through. Yeah. This is this is as if in a normal season you were through about 9 or 10 games right now. So as much as it is early, and it is, like, got to give them time to gel and mix together let's get this going a little bit let's start kind of feeling our way through this thing you know six games in eventually you're gonna have to get comfortable with the fact that these games are gonna be a little weird when Mm -hmm. you go on the road yeah you're gonna have to chill in the in in your hotel room for quite a while when you're at home yeah you're gonna be doing a lot of sitting around the house yeah i wish it wasn't that way but it is Mm -hmm. and that's how it's going to be for the near future i'm a little nervous about this vegas matchup you should be. Everyone should be. I'm a little nervous about this being the next team that they have to prove it against. And then once we get to that 10 game mark, okay, so we got two games against Vegas and then we wrapped things up against Anaheim. It's not the best time for them to have to answer some of these questions because it's it's not getting any easier yep. and it doesn't feel like they have found their game just yet. The weird thing though is they have in spurts. They've looked really good in the first game of these series. Yeah. And then it just disappears. Yeah. It's like they forget everything that they did well in the first game, and then it all goes to you-know-what in the second game. And, and I, it, that's what I don't understand. And it's all because of the penalty kill. I, I mean, honestly, it is, BK. You gave the stats. You had 11 penalties to kill off in those three games. Now, I don't know what the penalties. I wrote it down on my Ferrario 5 earlier, but the penalties in the first games of the series compared to the second games of the series, drastically different because you're keeping it at five on five. And that is the most important factor of this team right now. And, and you mentioned it, how you're getting close to these 10 games. The part for me that I, I feel at least a little bit satisfied of, I'm going to know what this team is once you hit 10, because you've played five separate series. You've seen basically all of the teams in this division, other than the Minnesota wild and the Arizona coyotes. 
and you're playing, in my opinion, the toughest team in the division for two games on Tuesday. That, to me, is going to be the tone setter, much like that Avalanche game was. Yeah, they have 12 penalties, by the way, in the first game. In the first game. And they have 20 in the second game. Yeah. So it's it's night and day. Yeah. It, it, That's it, the difference. That, that changes the way you're able to play in five-on-five. Five. It changes the way that you execute your game plan. It changes everything about the way that this team wants to play because they have still been quite good in five-on-five five opportunities. And it's fatigue. I, I mean, once you're doing those 20 penalty kills, BK, think of the guys that are exhausted. Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, your entire defensive unit. I, I mean, it's just guys are gassed by you get to the second period and there's not going to be any offense. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today. We will talk with John Kelly, Blues broadcaster, coming up at 1130. I thought earlier today, um, our guy Chris Kerber said something really interesting on the morning show about the Blues lack of an identity. We'll get to that coming up in the second hour. From the 573, so BK, is the sky already falling today? <laughs> no, no. I'm a little nervous by what what Joey said the Blues players are saying. I had not heard that previously, and that does make me a little nervous, I'm going to be honest with you. But coming into the day before I had heard that, I was with Alex. If this is a mental thing, if this is a, a compete thing, that's much less concerning to me than if it was a physical limitation because you can't change the physical limitations that you have as, as a team. Yeah. You should be able to change the mental way that you approach the game. So I've I've got my fingers and toes crossed that they're going to be able to do that over the next few weeks. But we've got to start seeing some evidence that they will yeah. because right now you're three series in and in all three th- series, it's basically been the same story. Yeah. And remember bubble play was you have four games and then you have basically you need four wins. Otherwise you're going home now. I know it's 56 game schedule, but you do have a little bit of wiggle room before you have to sit there and say, okay, we're out of the postseason, mostly because everyone is so jumbled together. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Are coaches ever going to learn? Are they ever going to learn, Alex? Because we watched the same story this weekend that we saw last weekend and the weekend before that. Eventually, they're going to figure this out. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now, here's BK and Ferrario. We essentially had four timeouts with the two-minute warning. You know, we, we knew we needed to get a stop. And I thought we were going to have a stop there at the end, but you know they, we got called for for the P, PI. Um, it didn't work out. So that was Matt Lafleur yesterday after the Packers game, where they ended up losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Super Bowl is set. It's going to be the Bucks versus the Chiefs. We'll get into both of these games a little bit more as we go along today. But Alex, let's start with that decision that Lafleur was talking about there, because. He still seemingly after the game feels like it was right to kick the field goal in that spot in the fourth quarter to reset where they were fourth and goal from the eight yard line. They are down 31 to 23. There's two minutes and 10 seconds to go. So fourth and goal from the eight. You got two, two minutes and 10 seconds to go. You're down by eight points in that spot. If you kick a field goal, you still have to score a touchdown on your next drive to be able to win the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you can go for the touchdown there to potentially tie the game and you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady with 2.10 left, but you have the three timeouts and you've got the two-minute warning. He decides to kick the field goal. They're down 31-26. Aaron Rodgers never saw the ball again. They lose the game. I can't believe we're still at this point with these coaches. Yeah. 
Have we not learned from what happened to the Colts and what happened to the Titans and what happened to all of these teams that are now eliminated with their conservative nature and going for it on fourth down? You're not beating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by kicking field goals in the red zone. Hey, Buffalo Bills, when you go to the red zone five times and you score 18 points, you ain't beating Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's not happening. And that's not me as a homer saying that. That's anybody who watches football knowing that that's the way that that's going to go. I'm stunned, and maybe I shouldn't be, by the lack of aggressiveness that we are still seeing from coaches in these games when, meanwhile, Bruce Arians, right before the end of the half in their game against the Packers, decides to go for it on fourth down and then chucks the ball over the top to go into halftime scoring a touchdown. Um, With the Chiefs, you've got Andy Reid, who fourth fourth down, basically game on the line. You've got your backup quarterback in the game because your starting quarterback is concussed and you throw a pass to be able to win the football game. It's not a surprise that those are the two teams that are being represented now for either conference in the Super Bowl. How are we still here with these with these coaches making these conservative calls? I don't understand. Part of me wonders if it's because, I mean... LaFleur is, I guess, just in this category, but I, I can't remember the other coaches. I know Tomlin was one of them with that punt in the Steelers. Oh, my God, I forgot about that but, one. But I wonder if it's a little bit of of um, nerves. Nerves isn't the right word, of being a young coach and you not want to make the wrong decision. And if you're Matt LaFleur, you're thinking you want to put the Packers in the best position to win for an Aaron Rodgers and guy like that, but you also don't want to make the wrong choice. But if that, I mean, that can't be true when you have a guy who is the sure MVP of the game. And this was the frustration on my part last night or yesterday watching this game. First of all, I was already ticked off because I took the Buccaneers in the under in that game. And well, thanks a lot, Rodgers and the Packers defense. (laughs) Um, But I, I, if you have the ball in that scenario and you're in your mindset is I want to kick the field goal because then we're down by a touchdown and I just need a touchdown to win, but you still need to get the ball back. So rather than needing the touchdown to win, why not go for the touchdown there? And if you don't get it, you're in the you same still have the spot. exact same situation. But yes. if you do get it, you're putting more pressure on the Buccaneers to make plays. And I think that's where football comes down to. You need to put pressure on the opposition. If you're going to go the easy route, and if the Buccaneers are on the sideline going, oh, they kicked a field goal. Now they need the ball back. Okay, well, we're just going to make sure you don't get it back. It's over. I always say it. Put yourself in the other team's shoes. What do you think the Bucks wanted the Packers to do in that spot? Kick a field goal, right? Because, okay, sweet. Now you're giving us the ball back. You're down by five points, and we need two first downs from Tom Brady, the greatest to ever do it. That's about to play in his 10th Super Bowl now. All we need is for him to get two first downs, and we win this football game. Yeah, I think they prefer that route as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of the league this year, needing eight yards with Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who had been playing really well in that game, and Robert Tunyon, who already in that game had a touchdown. You're telling me that they would have preferred Aaron Rodgers to throw? Of course not. They wanted to see the Packers kick the field goal in that spot. They obliged and they went for it. By the way, Aaron Rodgers after the game by the um was asked about this seemed very clear to me <laughs> that he disagreed with his coach's decision if i had known we were going to kick it if we didn't get it you know maybe something else would have been uh uh maybe gone with uh, some sort of uh you know crossing routes maybe there uh, instead but i thought we you know maybe we're going to have four chances to go God, that sounds like a disgruntled man right there he sounded so down he sounded broke, after the game. Didn't he? Yes, he did. And there was a lot of questions afterwards. Hey, was 
did we just watch the last game of Aaron Rodgers in a Packers uniform? It's difficult to conceive of because now you you kind of project forward to the offseason with Rodgers. They would have to take a $35 million cap hit for them for Rodgers not to be on the team next year. It seems unlikely to me that they yeah. would trade him unless he just demands a trade a la Deshaun Watson. But I don't think that's going to be the route that this goes. I think he'll be back next year. But you could tell how emotionally drained he was after that game. Yeah. And I can't blame him because he played pretty well. The Packers, it's not that they played a bad game. They had one corner, Kevin King, who couldn't cover anybody. He ended up getting deep on that pass play that I referenced earlier at the end of the first half. He was the one that had the defensive pass interference call at the very end of the game. But overall, that's this is what we've come to expect. Tom Brady, did he play great? No, three touchdowns, three picks. But he did enough. He always seems to find a way. And now what it sets up is, in my opinion, a fantastic Super Bowl. I mean, I understand it's a fantastic Super Bowl for this guy. Okay, he can't lose going into this Super Bowl. (laughs) I absolutely can. First of all, Um, second of all, I mean, you're you're, Dan made fun of this earlier and I get where he's coming from. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that get bored with the Brady versus Mahomes, the goat versus the kid. But man, that. What more could you really ask for from a game in terms of the storylines? Tom Brady leaving the cocoon up in Boston and going down to Tampa Bay with a new system, new teammates and a pandemic offseason, no preseason games starting the year seven and five and all of us counting them out. And for him to reach the Super Bowl, the Chiefs who coasted through the entire season, finally putting it together in a game against the Bills offensively. I mean, it sets up what should be a tremendous Super Bowl for all of us to watch. We can all agree with that, right? You feel better now? Yeah, I can't feel better. <laughs> Go ahead, T-Bone. I know you wanted to say something. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, looking into that Super Bowl, I was rooting for the Bills to win just because I knew we could give BK a hard time. I wanted to see him cry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it didn't happen, but that's no. okay. How about this, though? And I saw this stat, and I know you you saw it as well. This is the first time in Super Bowl era that you're having a rematch. Now, it's not the same teams, but it's the first time you're getting you're getting to see a rematch between two guys Right? Is that the is that the quote? Shafter put it out yesterday that you're. It's the first time you're seeing. I don't know which stat you're referencing. I got to find out the Schefter thing because it's not a rematch, right? Because they played each other earlier this year. Um, the Chiefs did with the Bucks, but I'm not sure what it is yeah, specifically. I got um, to swing back around on that one. It's it's an unbelievable matchup between two of the best to ever do it. We'll talk about this a little bit more later on. I think if Brady wins this, it it puts in an end to any conversation about Mahomes ever being able to be considered better than than Brady. I do. I if you if Brady beats him, well, Mahomes should be at the peak of his powers, right? And Brady is forty three years old with a new team. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for Mahomes to be able to overcome that because that that would be a head to head in the Super Bowl where at the back end of his career Brady was able to take him down. It. It'd be tough for him to overcome something like that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's talk to John Kelly, Blues broadcaster for Fox Sports Midwest. I hope he can quell some of my fears about the Blues after what we heard from Alex Ferrario earlier today. JK going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, joined by Blues broadcaster for Fox Sports Midwest. He is John Kelly joining us on the show. JK, always appreciate the time. How you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, doing well. So 
Let's start with kind of the elephant in the room. We talked about this in our open today. The Blues in the second game of the series, just it's not the same team that we see in the first game. They've been outscored 16 to four in those second series, second game of the series contest so far. What have you seen that's gone into some of those struggles? Can you pinpoint any one thing that's led to this? Well, I think that Coach Berube hit the nail on the head last night in his post-game comments. It's attitude. And, you know, I think a lot has been made of the second game. And, you know, let's face it, uh, no team wants to get swept in a two-game series. And we all know that except for perhaps one segment this year, the Blues will play two-game series all year long. So you better get used to that. You know, perhaps it's a bit of a mental letdown in the second game after winning the first game. I don't know. Obviously, the Kings didn't want to get swept. You know, they, they're, a, they're a hungry team. They've got some veterans that have won cups, and they've got a bunch of young kids that, that want to make their way into the NHL. So they want to win, too. And I think, quite honestly, in their shortened season, a 56-game season, every team feels that they have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. And I think it's especially true in the West Division. So, you know, they're hungry. But to me, the bottom line is, if you don't have the right attitude and you don't skate and you don't work hard, and the Blues certainly didn't do that last night in the second period, well, you're not going to win because you're facing good teams. And that was the bottom line last night. So whether it's the first game or the second game or whatever game, if you don't have that right attitude, then you're going to be in trouble. JK, speaking of that attitude, uh, our, our good pal, the great Joe Vitale, he was with me on post game last night and he talked about the conversations he's had with a couple of players. And he used the quote basically saying from the players that right now, some of the things this season just feel inhumane. Um, speaking of the fact that, you know, having to go home and not having the ability to go out, do you get the sense that right now, at least the beginning of the season, players are still trying to kind of shake off that bubble mentality that they had from last year? Well, I think it's certainly different than the bubble mentality, Alex. But, you know, I'm not a player, obviously. You'd have to ask the players. But my response to that would be it's the same for every team. So, you know, you can use all the excuses you want for why perhaps you didn't win a game or play well. But, you know, the L.A. Kings were in St. Louis all weekend, and they didn't leave their hotel, and they played pretty well last night. Great point. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really accept that, quite honestly. And, and, and you know, inhumane is a little strong phrase to me. <laughs> you know, the Blues are going to go to Vegas today, and they're going to be in a really nice hotel. And granted, they can't go out and go to the casinos and go to dinners. Um, it's difficult, but that's the reality we are, and you have to accept it. And if you don't have the right mindset, then it can get to you and impact you negatively. Um, but obviously, it's not normal. It, it's tough to stay, you know, I don't want to stay in a hotel room for, for three days, except for, for going to the rink. Right. You know, it's, it's not the easiest thing, but it certainly isn't inhumane. I think that's a little <laughs> bit of an extreme. <laughs> We're talking to John Kelly here on 101 ESPN. John, I did want to ask you about Villa, who so made his first career start in the league last night. What'd you think of what we saw from him and how difficult is it to judge a goalie when you've got a game like that, where it's very clear the blues just weren't at the top of their game. Well, it's tough to judge. You know, I, I didn't like the first goal that Billy allowed, the power play goal, where it just was chipped over his pad on the short side. And then in the second period, uh, you know, the Blues offered very little resistance. And, you know, he didn't have much of a chance on the other goal. So, you know, quite honestly, I, I think that the players should be, um, I don't know if ashamed of themselves is too strong a phrase, but they certainly let Billy 
um, hang to dry in, in both that start last night and the third period in Colorado. Uh, you know, a young goalie deserves better, and the Blues have to defend a lot better in front of Billy and obviously in front of any goaltender, but they didn't give him much of a chance last night, Quan, honestly. Well, and you saw that too, JK, at the end of that first period where I think Joey Minkerbs mentioned it on the broadcast on the radio side that uh, I think there was nine or ten guys that all gave Billy stick taps kind of on the pads before they went back into the locker room. Um, give me your thoughts on Ryan O'Reilly, though, JK, because, you know, we've seen some visible frustration from him on the ice, you know, smacking a stick on the board, things just aren't going right. Do you think he's, gri- he's grabbing the stick a little too tight at the the early portion of the season yeah I, I think so and you know remember a year ago he didn't have a great start as well and he, he's a guy that expects the most out of himself and he's a great leader obviously a great player and you know getting the C on his sweater maybe he's putting more pressure on himself uh, we talked to Craig Berube yesterday morning about that and, and, and I think he feels the same way that maybe he's just trying to do too much but uh, you know the thing about O'Reilly is he, he's playing hard minutes and, and a lot of nights he's playing big minutes. He played 2150 on Saturday and then had to come back and play last night. And you're playing head to head against Kopitar. Uh, he's killing too many penalties like yeah. the blues are killing too many penalties. So a lot of it adds up to some frustration and you know, his, his line mates, David Perron didn't score a goal until the other night. And you know, he was struggling to find the back of the net. I think it's a work in progress. I'm not concerned at all about Ryan, but I think the bottom line is he's probably putting too much pressure on himself. All right, we've talked a lot of negative here to start this thing out, and I, I want to get to the positive. <laughs> Sorry, <because> JK. <laughs> as much as it feels like the sky is falling a little bit here in St. Louis, the, the Blues are still a good team, 3-2-1 and one on the year. Uh, they've had a solid start. They're right near the top of the division, all things considered. I want to ask you about who I believe to be the brightest spot of the start of this season, and that is Jordan Cairo, who has just played really well to start this year. JK, what have you seen from his game that has been able to to take the leap for him so far this season? Well, I think the biggest thing with Jordan is it's confidence. He, he's carrying the puck. He's making plays. We knew he had great speed. You know, he, he's the quickest player on the Blues team. And, you know, normally a, a guy you watch him play, and he's been – you know, up and down in the last couple of years and has played a handful of NHL games. Normally a guy from year to year will make, you know, a 10 or 20% improvement, but he has made a huge improvement in his game this year. Uh, he got stronger as you guys, I'm sure know. He, he added about eight pounds of muscle. So he, he's winning more puck battles. He's more competitive, but I think the biggest thing is you watch him play. His head is up all the way. He's got a lot of confidence. He's beating guys one-on-one and just playing great hockey. I mean, the, the play he made on the goal, you know, banging it off the boards to himself um, was just a fabulous play on the play to Shen. So, you know, it's, it's a player that just has a lot more confidence and more strength than he did a year ago, and he's been impactful in, in every game. I think it's fair to say that that Kyra and Shen have been the, the two best forwards so far in the first six games. Speaking of confidence, JK, the other guy who is showing a lot of it has been Justin Falk. I mean, we all know of that two goal performance that he had early on in the beginning of the season, but defensively he and Scandella are starting to create some chemistry on the ice that seems to gain the confidence of Craig Berube. Yeah, we, we talked to Scandella yesterday morning, guys, and, and he compared him to a former partner of his in Minnesota, uh, Jared Spurgeon, who's now the captain of the Minnesota Wild. So pretty high praise. And I think Falk is playing, his, no question, his best hockey as a blue. You know, it was a tough adjustment for him last year. He he comes over 
joining a Stanley Cup winning team and has to play his offside and different partners, not to make excuses, but, you know, it's tough to fit into the group. And, and now with Petrangelo gone, he has a bigger role, a more consistent role, and, and he has been arguably, you know, one of the Blues' best players so far in the first six games. So he, he certainly has been more consistent. I think the biggest thing to me is he's been more aggressive, as you mentioned, the gap closure and, and, and holding the lines and things like that. He, he's been a, a big-time player for the Blues, and they're going to need that. I mean, their second pairing of Scandella and Falk has got to be good because they're going to see a lot of top lines, especially on the road when you don't get the top matchup. But, um, I, you know, I, was, I would say I was a little bit concerned going into the season, um, but those concerns are really now, now gone because – both of those guys have played so well. We're talking to John Kelly, Blue Bro- Blues broadcaster for Fox Sports Midwest. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. John, last question that I had for you. I heard Chris Kerber on our morning show earlier today, and they asked him about the Blues identity. What is the Blues identity right now? And sometimes this, there's more made of it than needs to, but do you think this Blues team so far, and it's very early, I understand that, but do you think they have developed an identity yet early in this hockey season? No, I really don't. And their identity is what led them to the cup in 19. It's puck possession. It's forechecking. It's playing physically, finishing your checks, things like that. Uh, you know, defending well, defending the middle of the ice. They've done it at times. You know, again, it's such a, a small sample size. And the Blues are, as you said, you know, the sky isn't falling. They're in third place. And the team that everybody picked as the prohibitive cup favorite, the Avalanche, are three and three. So, you know, it, it's been an uneven start for the Blues and a lot of teams. Uh, again, they, no team had any preseason games, as we know. But I think they're still trying to, to, to grasp that identity. But more than that, play it on a consistent basis. Uh, their best game by far was their first game in Colorado, the 4-1 victory, where from start to finish, they, they had their identity, they had their checking and their forecheck and things like that. And, and they really stymied a good Colorado team. Um, you know, they, they did it pretty well in the first game against the Kings and beating San Jose. But again, it's sort of been inconsistent and they need to be more consistent finding that identity. JK, what are you looking forward to in this matchup against the Golden Knights? Of course, everyone is, is excited to see that matchup with Petro, but this is going to be one of the biggest challenges, I think, for the Blues at the early part of the season. Well, I think like, like Colorado, the Vegas Golden Knights are a team that has a lot of firepower and a lot of speed. And, you know, a lot of production from their back end with Theodore and, and now Petrangelo. They're a good team. They're a really good team. So if, if you're not on your A game, so to speak, and you're not defending well and working hard, then it's going to be tough to get two points and it's going to be tough to stay in games. But I'm, I'm not worried. I think that the Blues perhaps were a little embarrassed last night um, by their performance in the second period. I thought they were great in the third period. Uh, quite honestly, they played really well. So hopefully that's something to build on. But if you, again, if you're not on your game and checking well, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights can score a lot of goals in a, in a short time. He's John Kelly. You can watch him on the Fox Sports Midwest Blues broadcast. Always appreciate him joining us here on the show. JK, all the best to you and the family, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Okay, anytime, guys. Absolutely. that You are the best. That is John Kelly joining us here on 101 ESPN. And Alex Petrangelo, just looking up these numbers for the Vegas Golden Knights as we kind of start turning the page towards that. He's playing 25 minutes a game right now. And again, Vegas has been using five defensemen. 
It's wild. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. But they have two of doing. the best right now in the league. I mean, Shea Theodore is an up-and-coming defenseman. Alex Petrangelo is himself. To go to show you how tight that team is, I think they've allowed the third fewest shots on goal per game at around 28. So you're not getting a lot of shots off these guys. And when you do, you got to go up against these top defensive players. They've allowed a one in one game so far this season. They've allowed more than two goals once. Yeah. And it's certainly I understand all of that. They've played six games and four of them have come against Arizona. So we don't have a great sense yet what this Vegas Golden Knights team is going to be. We're going to get a much better sense tomorrow night whenever they take on the St. Louis Blues. All right. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Plus, I just looked up while we were talking to JK, the other teams in this Pacific West division, what have they done after they won the first game of the series in a back-to-back, the two-game series? What have the other teams in this division done in those situations? The numbers are interesting to me. I'll tell you what they are coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. So if you look at the West Division, the Honda West, if you will, the standings right now, you it probably makes sense that this is the case. But I went through because we've talked so much about how the Blues have struggled after they won the first game of a series and they've been they've had a really hard time being able to come back with a really good performance in that second game. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see, okay, is this something that is a trend across the division or is it something that the Blues specifically are struggling with? It's something that the entire division has struggled with. And most of the division is 500, so that checks out. That makes sense. Vegas has only played two series so far. They had a two-game series and they had a four-game series, so it's been tough to really judge them, but they're 1-0. They won the first game in that first series and then they followed it up with a win in the second game. Minnesota is 1-2 in these situations. Colorado 0-2. They won the first game twice in their series, lost the second game in both of them. Anaheim 0-1. San Jose 0-1. Blues, of course, we know. 0-2-1. As a whole, the West Division, after winning teams that win the first game of the two-game series, are 2-8-1 in that second game of the series. 2-8-1. So 11 times you've had this situation where a team won the first game in a two-game set, and then they ended up winning that second game just two times. Yeah. That tells me a lot about the division, even more so maybe than the Blues. So we're focusing in on the Blues right now because it is the local situation that we're dealing with. But it's everybody. Colorado's having the same conversation right now. I bet you they're having something similar right now in Minnesota where they're one and two in these situations. It's the entire division, not just the St. Louis Blues. So are you agreeing with Alex Ferrario, who said that the Honda West division is the toughest division in all of hockey? I don't know if oh, I'm there yet. Don't do it to me, BK. So here's a couple more for you, because I did this last night on my Ferrario five piece. So there have been 15 teams in the NHL this season that have swept a series. So from what you just said, two times in the Honda West division, a team has swept yeah, a series. It's been Vegas and Minnesota. Those are the only two that have done that it. means 13 of the 31 teams. Well, I guess if you take out the eight, so 13 of 23 teams that have swept a series have come from the other divisions. Yep. And I talked about this on the post game last night, go through each team and look how many divisions have a team that sits at a 500 record, little above, little below 500. There's two teams that have that. 
the Blues in their division, along with Colorado, Vegas, Anaheim, and San Jose. That's five teams that are at a 500 record. This is life in the Honda West division. This is why I've said for a long time that this is not going to be an easy division. Okay, okay, Admit you're right. To it, BK. <laughs> Enough with the interrogation. You were right. I was wrong. This Hit is a tough for division. Me, I apologize. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 314. So BK, are you saying that we can all stop overreacting? No. I'm not because there are things that actually have to be fixed. It's not just the fact that this is a trend across the division. The Blues should rise above. Mm -hmm. They should still be considered to be one of the best teams, not only in the division, but in in the league as a whole. And if they're going to be that, they've got to start taking care of business in these second games. That being said, the fact that it is a trend in the entire division does make me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, I mean, if you think Blues fans are stressed out right now because of the way that they've been playing, what do you think Colorado fans are thinking? They're the favorite to win the Cup, and they have been unable to win a series right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Guys, what have you thought so far about Ville Husso? Do you think that he has impressed in his first two opportunities? Look, I, I... I don't think you can judge him off of that first game, right? Like he gave up, what, four goals, I believe it was against Colorado. He went into a situation that basically the house was burnt down and he was trying to put it back together. Like it was impossible. It was 4 nothing. The team was already deflated. He had to start on the penalty kill. Can't judge him off of that. Now, a lot of people are blaming Ville Husso, saying that he's not good enough to be the backup goaltender in the NHL after last night's performance. I don't think he was horrible, but I also don't think he was great. I think he was average. But if you take away the breakaway opportunities, the turnovers that the St. Louis Blues did in front of him, you're talking about a two or three goal game that he gave up to the LA Kings. There were about two or three goals I think he'd like to have back. Um, but look, he saved their bacon in the first period before things unraveled. And frankly, he saved their bacon in the third period when the Blues pushed a little bit of a comeback out there. So I don't think he was great, but I also think he's going to be fine in this backup role. The Blues just got to play better in front of him. Yeah, I agree. I thought he, again, he was okay, but he got hung out to dry for three of the five goals. I mean, no no one hustles back on that fifth goal. That irritated me. The guy had three whacks after the original save, and then yep. you look at the replay, and there's gliding along, not there yet. Mm-hmm. Got to get back, and then Dunn gets burned on the other one, doesn't get the puck deep. We're going to talk about him later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. And then on the, oh, Perron gets beat at the blue line, I think, on the fourth goal. Just a quick spin, and then the guy just skates in and takes a shot. That's unacceptable, and that's not on Huso. That's on the guys around him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. On Ville Huso, I want to agree with you guys. I do. But BK's looking at the numbers. It's a little concerning. Natalie! The expected goals rate is very bad <laughs> against Ville Huso so far this season. It's 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 a little concerning, and if this be, it's if this ends up being a trend, it is a sign that we're going to see a lot more of Jordan Bennington this year, which is fine. But you would like to be able to get him some rest. Yeah. If if Huso continues playing like this, though, I understand that the guys in front of him have to be better. That is a given. They they do. But if he continues playing this way and he's not able to stop some of these high danger chances, they're not going to be able to put him out there regularly. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, look, we I, I still believe that I think he was good enough to be in that situation, but you got to make a couple of those saves. Like that first one that went in that bounced off of his pad and then the other one where he made the save and didn't cover it up. Those are the ones that you have to make if you're a goaltender. It's the same thing we talk about with Bennington, BK. The guy, you got to make the stops that you shouldn't make 
And that's what kind of puts the momentum back on your side. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, and we got even more confirmation of it over the weekend. Major League Baseball teams misjudged the market or their owners made a really bad business opportunity. We'll talk about that coming up next. And Alex Yadier Molina's on Instagram again. We'll tell you what he said coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He is Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Major League Baseball teams, there's two options that have taken place here, Alex. Option number one, they completely misread the market completely misread the market it's like me whenever i was younger and i was trying to date people that clearly weren't all that interested you were looking misread for a 10 room and you were like a four yeah, yeah. it's just like sometimes you, you, you got end a up, 10 way to go buddy. i did i it, it happened late in life for me but once i found it i knew not to let it go um they misread the room and they thought that the market was going to be one thing and it very clearly ended up being something different entirely option number two they have less in common with me and their owners didn't know what their uh, their revenues were going to be for next year. And so they just said, hey, don't make any moves early in the offseason. Chill out. Let us figure this thing out for a little while. And then later on, we'll let you know how much money you have to spend. And they told their general managers, do not make any moves right now. Do not commit any money to 2021 that you don't already have committed. Very possible. Let's focus on option number one, though. Okay. Brad Hand just signed a one-year, $10.5 million deal with the Nationals. Brad Hand, if you remember correctly, earlier this offseason was waived. Any team in baseball could have signed him to a one-year $10 million contract. All they had to do was claim him. The contract was already there. They could have had this player for $10 million, including the Nationals, $500,000 cheaper. They just basically paid $500,000 to wait a couple of months. That's what the tax was on that. Michael Brantley signed a two-year $32 million deal with the Astros. The Astros earlier in the offseason in November could have offered him a qualifying offer, which is about $19 million. So they could have had Michael Brantley back either for a one-year $19 million qualifying offer, or if he ended up signing elsewhere, he would have. they would have netted a draft pick in return. They decided not to do that. They end up giving him two years, $32 million. They're spending an extra $13 million for the right to be able to sign him now. Or they're saving an extra $3 million per year. No. Okay. So... This, the reason why I bring this up is because I do think it plays into the Cardinals. I think early in the offseason, the Cardinals were in a similar spot. And again, there's those two options. It's either the owners didn't know what the revenues were going to be, so they didn't know what to spend. They didn't want to commit any extra money to the to the um, payrolls. Or option two, they misread the market. That could also apply to the Cardinals when it comes to Colton Wong. Both of those options are possible. The Cardinals thought he would be cheaper if they let him walk, and then they would be uh, be able to bring him back later on. Or they, they didn't know the money situation at the time. They didn't want to commit that money to him. They didn't want to commit it to Wayno. They didn't want to commit it to Yachty. And now I think teams are starting to get a better sense for what that is. Regardless of what it was at the beginning of the uh, offseason, I think we are, Alex, starting to get to the point. 
deals are getting done. And I think that means we're getting closer to knowing one way or the other on all of these guys. Yachty, Wayno, Wong. I think we're going to get a pretty clear picture on that in the next week or so. I think so. But I think it is because of what you said, that owners are starting to actually have a clearer picture, right? Like now we've learned that the Cardinals are hoping to have a certain amount of fans in the stands where, look, that's still a hypothetical. You still hope that that's going to happen. It's not a for sure thing. But I think now that the the picture is a little clearer of they're expecting spring training to start on time. They're expecting the season to be played 162 games. They're expecting some fans in the stands. That's why I think you're starting to see this market present itself. And I do think there's a little of the owners at the beginning of this offseason that said, Brad Hand for $10 million, we can get this guy for $6 million. But then I think it became the point where it's like, okay, not so much because he's still out there. He hasn't agreed. We got to pay this guy what he wants, but the market has presented itself a little bit better and clearer. So having the opportunity and the possibility of more fans in the building is giving these card, these owners, the capability of spending the money now. So I'm with you. I think we are getting closer to this Cardinals answer of these players, but I also don't know if that means we're going to get the answer that we're hoping for or if that's going to be the answer that, hey, they're not coming back. I think it's the opposite. Yeah, I'm, I'm you with think you. think they're not coming back. So I think Wayno, maybe not. The, the fact that Garrett Richards got $10 million, Wayno's going to get that somewhere. Oh, yeah. He I should mean, get that somewhere. If if Garrett Richards is getting that, I, I bet you that kind of a deal is out there somewhere for Wayno if he wants to take it. Now, it might be with a team that's not in contention next year, and does Wayno want to do that? I don't know, but... I think he's going to have some money out there that we weren't necessarily expecting early in the offseason. Yachty's a little different. I'm starting to think Yachty's going to be back. Now, earlier today, you know, we're on Yachty Instagram watch. That's that's how this has gone in the offseason. We need like a music, like a like an open for that, you know? <laughs> As the world turns with Yachty, Yachty on Instagram Insta watch. <laughs> so Yachty tweeted in Spanish. So this is the rough translation for you. Is it time... With a thinking emoji. Thanks, God. I don't know if we should read anything into this or not. But we're going to. But given the way that Yachty has played this offseason and how he's had some of these things where he's asked fans, where should I go? Which team should I play for next year? All that. He's kind of using his Instagram as a way to show us where he's at in his process. Hey, he's right? building the excitement up. And given the other context clues of what we've seen around baseball with Profar and Kike Hernandez, Brad Hand, Brantley, a bunch of guys signing over the last week or so, you've seen a few catchers come off the market in the last week or so. I do think it is getting near the time where Yachty makes a decision. I think he's going to be back. After all of what we just talked about, I think the Cardinals are going to say, you know what? We're not signing a guy like Kike Hernandez to a two-year, $14 million deal. That's not what we're looking for. Jerks and Profar got three years with opt-outs after every year, $7 million per season. That's not the market the Cardinals are shopping in. They ain't giving a guy like Brad Hand $10 million for next year. Especially Michael, as a reliever. If Michael Brantley's getting $16 million per season, well, that's more than I was expecting the outfield market to get, the DH outfield market to get. All of these guys are out of their league right now in terms of what the money is that they're willing to spend. So I think you end up coming back to reality for a moment and looking at the guy that has been here. That is a huge part of what your identity is with pitching and defense. And you go say, Yachty, listen, we know we gave you an offer that you deemed ridiculous earlier in the offseason. We don't see the offers coming for you elsewhere. Why don't you come back? We'll get this done. Six, seven million dollars. One year deal. We'll get you incentives that can take you up to 10, 12 
and let's bring you back to St. Louis. So I think th- it gets done. So you think that they're going to give him a new contract offer other than the one that has already been presented to Yachty yes. or Molina? See, that's the part that I'm still hung up on because I just don't know. I know that things are a little bit clearer now and the Cardinals have their budget issues, but we've all addressed this season as a transition year. I'm just still curious if the Cardinals even go with a new offer or if they leave the one on the table that they feel is the deal that they can do pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, wherever we may be, that's the deal. Come back or we'll move on. And that's where I feel like the Cardinals are at. If What are they moving on to, though? That That's the thing that I have a, a, a tough time with right now is as I'm looking at what the market is for these other guys. Okay, so you're moving on from Wayno. Cool. We Let's go down that hypothetical that. path. Now what? Now are you going out and signing a better utility infielder, a better outfielder? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to allocate those resources in other ways. So if you're not going to go get that higher-end bat that's going to help your order, well, then bring back Yachty because at least then I know he's going to be really good with my pitching staff in a year where pitching is at a premium. He's going to be really good defensively behind the plate in a year where Cardinals don't have a whole lot of offense to speak of with any sort of certainty. At least I need good defense and good pitching. Cardinals have leaned on that in the past and has been super successful for them. It's not sexy, but it's successful. Yachty's a big part of that. So I think that's why I have so much confidence in them bringing him back next year. If you don't, if not him, then who? Yeah. Where where are you spending this money? I'm not saying that they got to go out and spend $20 million, but they're going to spend something between now and the start of spring training. And I think the most likely player that they spend it on is still, and has always been, in my opinion, Yadier Molina. I still think they spend that money, do go get that utility guy. Because they're going to have to get some some sort of production off the bench or, let's be honest, at third base. So they're going to have to go spend money somewhere. And that, to me, is the, that makes the most sense. If you do want to evaluate your outfield, fine. Then let's leave the outfield alone and let's just sit through it and hope that someone performs well. But... <laughs> In the, in the infield, you kind of have to have someone that can back up behind DeYoung. We haven't seen that. DeYoung, when he plays a ton of games, he struggles. I mean, we saw that 2019. He got he got tired. He was playing, I think he played 159 games of 162. I think that's part of the reason they didn't have any confidence in someone behind him. So I think they need to add someone to that bench. But who do you want? That's the problem is, like, do, do you want Didi Gregorius? Too he's going to be ten plus million dollars, given what we've seen these other He'd be guys. Be awesome, did. but he's going to be too expensive. I think Tommy Lastella, now that we've seen the market, is going to get about ten plus million dollars. I don't think he's in their price range anymore. So I, I'm, I would love to see them go out and get an upgrade and as a utility player, Cesar Hernandez probably going to get similar to what we just saw from Profar and Kike. So you're looking at seven plus million dollars there. Who are they going to go out and get? And that th- is the upgrade. And I think they have guys on their 40-man roster that they want to evaluate. And then Edmundo Sosa is a guy that I know Danny Montero. Mack has spoken very highly of. Yes, Montero as well. Look, like it or not, th- there might be a track for Nolan Gorman at some point. I don't expect him this season, but they're going to try and start building towards that. Y- you know, here, here's my thought process. If you bring back Yachty, there's going to be another move attached to that. I don't know what it's going to be, but you're not bringing back Yachty and saying we're done. You're bringing back Yachty. You sure? I, I, no, I'm not sure because it's <laughs> the Cardinals. Sure? I'm not sure because it's the Cardinals. This is my gut right here. If you're bringing back Yachty, you're going to compete, right? And if you're going to compete, you have to do something to that infield. You cannot just bring back Yachty and say, yep, let's do it because you have nothing else there to help with that. If Yachty comes back, you're going to bring something else. If not, I think it's going to be a bargain bin player, and then you're going to move forward. I'm telling you, 
based on the projections of where these players were supposed to get, what what the money was that they were supposed to get, Kike Hernandez, that, that ESPN projections article that I always reference, he was projected to get one year in four and a half million dollars. You one tripled year, that. Four and a half million dollars. He got two years in fourteen million dollars. If that's what he's getting, and that's what the market is right now for these guys that are the potential utility infielders that can help you, Jonathan Scope was projected for one year five. He ain't getting that. He's getting like one year eight, one year nine, and then he potentially could get a multi-year offer. I, I bet you he's similar to the Profar, two years, 14, two years, 15. I don't think the Cardinals are spending that on a utility infielder who's going to play once out of every three days. So I just have a hard time. I... I'm with you guys. I would love to see them do more than just bring back Yachty. I'm starting to get the feeling that they're not going to do more than just bring back Yachty. They'll bring back Yachty and then they'll sign somebody that's going to help them a little bit in the outfield as a lefty bat. Hence the Yachty Instagram tease. He did exactly what he was hoping to do. He got us to discuss this. He certainly did. And it was a successful way for him to go about it. And I... I think he's going to be back. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot more than that, but I think he's going to be back. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of in or out, including in or out. The Missouri Tigers are a legitimate Elite Eight contender going into the NCAA tournament. I think that I've got to be in on that one. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Let's start with this one. The Missouri Tigers with one hell of a victory over the weekend against a top 10 ranked Tennessee team. Start with this, Alex. In or out, Mizzou is a legitimate Elite Eight contender now that they are 10-2 on the season with another true road win, this one coming against the sixth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. This is the hardest for thing for me to pick because I don't know what Mizzou team is going to show up. We've talked about this before. They are centered around two things, Jeremiah Tillman and the three-point shot. They're either crushing it or they are hitting the metal every single time. I'm going to say out on this one. I know I'm hesitant. I see the eyebrow raises. I think they are a sweet 16 team. And I think that's as far as they'll get because it's just inconsistency right now. And they may change my mind the rest of this SEC schedule. BK's got this smirk on his face where he's about to just destroy me with some Mizzou knowledge. So I'm going to allow you take to the stage here, buddy. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. BK, you're such a Mizzou homer. I turn on this station rarely anymore because every time I do, you're talking about how great Mizzou is. Does this because you went to school there? We all know that they're going to get bounced in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Sir, ma'am, I disagree. (laughs) I I do not agree with that assessment. (laughs) Missouri's legitimately really good defensively. Are they a good offensive team? Uh Uh-uh. Not good at all. 12th in the SEC. There's only two that have been worse so far in conference play. They are god-awful offensively. Now, like you said, Jeremiah Tillman, really good inside. Xavier Pinson was fantastic on Saturday night. But their real calling card is on the defensive side of things. They're the second-best defense in the SEC. They're top 20 in the country right now. 
I think that because of that defense, because they have so much veteran depth and specifically veteran guards, I think they've got a real chance to be able to go on a run this year. And a lot of this is also driven by the fact that there's not a whole lot of great teams in college basketball this season. I really like Illinois. I think they also have a chance to be an elite eight type of a contender this year. Missouri already beat Illinois earlier this season. So if that's the type of competition that you're going up against, I think that they can and probably will make a little bit of a run in the tournament. BK, you're such a Cardinals homer. Every time I turn the station on, you're talking about how the Cardinals are great too. <laughs> okay. Well, he, they did add LMAO, which I think that was some sarcasm, but I, I liked it. I am a Cardinals homer, a Mizzou homer, you're a Tom everything. Brady homer. Just a enough of it already. <laughs> enough of it. But I'm too negative about the Blues. It's true. I would say I'm out on Mizzou going to win. Ah, of course you are. I, just the inconsistencies offensively. <laughs> Turn the mic off. Oh, fine, whatever. But Keep the, going. But the offensive, the offensive uh, inconsistency scares me. And uh, and it's weird because I don't think Illinois is an Elite Eight team either because they're inconsistent defensively. So I have this, just a different twist on both teams. If they can start to put something together offensively and they still have plenty of time to do so, then yeah, I think they can make a run at the Elite Eight. It's fair. I the thing that I love about Illinois is they just they have elite players. They ha, they have two guys that are just true superstars in, at their position. So I like both of these teams. I'm interested to see what SLU looks like as well whenever they return to play. They've got a big one tomorrow night, right, Alex? Yeah. For SLU, it's the first time they've I think played it's in. If, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first time they've played in more than a month. So I'll be very interested to see what they look like whenever they return to play. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out, in or out, guys. Matt Stafford. It sounds like he's going to be traded this offseason. He has officially agreed with the Lions to part ways. In or out, the best possible landing spot for Matt Stafford is the New England Patriots. I'm out. Best landing spot for Matt Stafford is the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, I think he goes to that team, and I Super Bowl contender is too harsh for me to stay, especially in this AFC. But they are a contender to make it to the AFC Championship game with Matt Stafford. They they struggled with Philip Rivers, who was up there in age, and, and look, that game fell apart for them. But Matt Stafford going to the Patriots is going to be basically the Cam Newton going to the Patriots. Now, Newton was a little different, but you got nobody to throw to. Matt Stafford is basically going to another Detroit if he goes to New England, but he doesn't have Marvin Jones or Kenny Galladay to throw to. So best case scenario for Matt Stafford is going to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm out. I, to me, going to New England, he's not going to make a difference. He's not going to make them a playoff team. They would have to add more to him. You put him on that Colts team. I think it does make them Super Bowl favorites, or at least the team to come out of the AFC. So that's why I think New England's such a bad destination for Matthew Stafford. Do we know if Big Ben's coming back or not? I'm not going to make another quarterback retire. I'm You're not, not, not retiring do that someone for else. <laughs> if Big Ben, can I? Can I? I'm going to give a real BK answer here. Um, <laughs> if Big Ben retires. I think Pittsburgh's a fantastic landing spot for him. They have a ton of weapons. That O-line needs some upgrades for sure, but they've got a pretty good defense as well, the, which they have not had for years in Detroit. I think he makes a lot of sense for, for Pittsburgh as an answer to their quarterback questions moving forward if Big Ben retires. Now, if he doesn't, you can't make that move and you just stick with Big Ben. If he doesn't retire, I would love to see him on San Francisco. Yeah. I think he's a significant upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo. He's more athletic than Jimmy Garoppolo is, and we haven't seen that a ton from him in Detroit, but I think we would see Kyle Shanahan take full advantage 
of Matthew Stafford's athleticism. I would love to see him in San Francisco this offseason. I, I think that would be a really good landing spot for Matt Stafford. So where's Jimmy G go then? Is he in that New trade? England, to Three team trade, baby. Ooh. Yeah, I feel like he he goes to New England. Oh, six five seven eight O is the Air Comfort Service text line, guys. I think that Matt Stafford should go to the Saints. That's another well, really good can't. spot. He can't. Taysom Hill's there. Good point. Sorry, they do have a lot of money tied and up. James Winston's Hill. got another year on his contract. I, you say that they can't. I'm actually pretty sure that's true. They're like thirty million dollars yeah. over the cap right now, and they've got to figure out what they're going to do with that money. The and, Washington football team and other texts are sent in, but honestly, if I'm Washington. I'm at least looking at Alex Smith one more year. You know, I'm a big Alex Smith guy. I'm not sure he's going to play much football. Moving forward. I mean, if I'm his wife, I'm forcing yeah. him into retirement this offseason. But I, it's, I mean, it, you've you've come back from that mountain. I don't think you want to go out the way that he went out with uh, with an injury that he it. went into. You know, I get it. I don't know that there's any other way for him to go out, though. Yeah. I think this is just what what it's going to be with him. He's he's going to get banged up if he continues to play. It's awesome because there's so many different recommendations already coming in on the text line. Denver, Saints, Washington, 49ers, uh, Steelers, Colts. This is going to be an offseason unlike anything we've ever seen in the NFL when it comes to quarterback movement. I mean, there's four legitimate first round quarterbacks in this year's draft. You've got Matt Stafford. Um, You've got the potential now of Aaron Rodgers, I guess. Uh, be, being moved. Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo is probably going to be moved. We'll see on some of these young guys like Tua, uh, Deshaun Watson, I haven't mentioned. Um, Sam Darnold's probably going to be on the move. Man, this is going to be a we wild offseason. Last week, NFL reporter who said that this is going to, or it was Steve Weish, mm-hmm. who said this is going to be the most insane offseason for quarterback movements. And I truly believe that. I think that's going to be the way that it goes for the next couple of years, just because we're moving on from these young guys so quickly. Jameis Winston's of the world, Marcus Mariota's that didn't used to happen. And now we're seeing them go and be back up somewhere and potentially have some success there. All right. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service text line for in or out guys in or out by the end of the season. We're going to be saying that the blues need a new backup goalie going into next year. I'm out on this because yeah, I know. I know. Here's why. Your backup goalies are going to cost you too much money that you want. Like, you had the best case scenario with what the Blues had with Jake Allen. And I know, everyone, bring back Jake Allen. Look, Jake's looked incredible in Montreal right now. But Jake was going into free agency as well, and Jake's going to get a little bit of an upgrade and raise. Backup goaltenders aren't what they used to be, where you can pay somebody and play 10 games. Like, backup goaltenders cost you somewhere between 3 and $5 million. In a normal offseason... Or in, I'm sorry, in a normal 82-game schedule, I think Ville Husso is going to be very capable at being a backup for you. This one is just really strange right now because of the amount of games being played in the short amount of time. I mean, you got 23 games in the next 47 days. Like, you just don't get a good taste right now of what's going on with your goaltender because, frankly, it's hard to get a taste of the players in front of them. So I'm out on this one. They've, they've committed a lot to Ville Husso. He's going to be cheap. He can win you 15 to 20 games in a regular season, I still believe. Bennington's going to be the guy for you, so I'm out on this. They stick with this tandem. I agree. I'm out just because I think it's going to be you're going to have to pay guys like Jaden Schwartz or Mike Hoffman if you want to bring him back. Also, you've got Robert Thomas, who's a restricted free agent. I just don't think the money lines up, and I don't think they want to trade away any assets so they can go sign a backup goalie. I'm out on it as well. Pecorine is a uh, free agent after the year. Yeah. Um, I, 
I don't see Pecorino going anywhere. He's either going to stay in Nashville or retire. Okay. And if he does, he's going to command you somewhere between three to six million dollars. It's going to be something that the Blues have to potentially consider if things go south. I'm hoping that that is not the case. I think that they're going to be able to get this thing back on track. And it's been more about what's happened in front of him than his play. Right. There are some troubling signs there numbers wise, but we've watched the games. It, the first game, throw all of that out. Right. And then last night, it was just a rough game for the team as a whole. You know what I could see happening next season is they go out there and do what they did this offseason. But instead of a guy like Thomas Grice, Maybe get a guy like Henrik Lundqvist who is available. A guy who is on his way to retirement. Maybe a Pecorine if he is out there. That's kind of why I mentioned it. Just because it'll be cheaper and it's yeah. the one year and back And you make the it deal. an internal competition where you bring in that vet to try and fight for that spot. If not, he gets to play AHL and be a part of the club. That's what I could see happening, but it's not going to be we're done with you, Billy So Unless he's god awful the rest of the season. He's Alex Ferrario. That is Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, are the Blues still finding their identity? Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, seems to think so want to play you a cut from what he had to say earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. I thought it was fascinating. How do the Blues find that identity again? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Finding their identity, I think the answer to that question is yes. At least I think we hope that the answer to that question is yes. Because so far, the identity has been play pretty well in the first game of a series, play really horribly in the second game of the series. Okay, a little aggressive BK, horribly. Is that wrong? No, you're not wrong. Okay, so I think that we are all hoping and anticipating that that will change over the course of the season. Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, who you hear on each and every Blues game right here on 101 ESPN, was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and he made a great point about the Blues' lack of an identity right now. I want to play this for you, and we'll react to it on the other side. I think Alex said during the second intermission last night, I think he said, you know, he'd expect a physical response. And, and you know, I, I, at one point I said to him, I said, yeah, but I'm not sure where that's going to come from. Like, like who? That that doesn't exist on this team right now. I mean, it's the, it, it's, it's, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I'm not sure that the Blues know what their identity is yet for this upcoming season. And, yes, that does change from one season to the next, depending on the players you have. So, yeah, whether it's, whether it's mental, whether it's attitude, whether it's want to, yeah, there there is part of that factor that I think has played a role in the uh, in the you know kind of average start to the season. What is this team's identity, Alex? Like right now, if you were to say based on what we've seen so far, and not taking into account previous seasons, because otherwise, John Kelly, we had her on earlier today, made a great point. We know what the identity should be. Mm-hmm. What is this team's identity right now? Well, this team's identity is physical presence, but it's not here. I think this team right now is is they're struggling with the identity of do we play physical and can we play physical for a full 60 minutes or are we going to beat our opposition with speed? Because let's be honest, they have a lot of speed on this team. Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, now on the defensive side with Krug and Falk and Vince Dunn. You have the speed, but it's this mixture of, okay, we're going to play physical but then we're going to get away from it and try and do something else. And the problem is 
when they're playing physical, they're getting penalties called on them. And then it turns into the penalty kill. Then it becomes exhaustion. Then you resort to, okay, well, let's beat them finesse-wise. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's just, it's not showing up. I mean, when I told Curbs that in that intermission, I'm going off of the blues of the past, right? And they do have the players that will do it. The problem is it's just not out there. It's the attitude that we've talked about with Craig Berube. I mean, think about this. You have a Braden Shen. He's dropped the gloves on an opening face-off against the Colorado Avalanche when the team needed a response. You have a Kyle Clifford who only played six and a half minutes last night. Craig Berube must not be feeling the faith right now with Kyle Clifford on the ice because six and a half minutes from your fourth line where Ivan Barbashev played ten and a half minutes. Now, granted, 150 of that was on the penalty kill. Oscar Sundquist played nearly 15 minutes. Your fourth line's not there for you. That's an identity that you've lost. You have a Ivan Barbashev, as we've mentioned, but then you got on the defensive side. I mean, the most physical player on your defensive side has been Justin Falk with seven hits. You used to have Petrangelo, who was a physical player. You used to have Robert Bortuzzo, who, of course, is not out there because of the injury. You used to have a Joel Edmondson, who was a physical player. You used to have Pat Maroon. That's the identity that Curbs is talking about. They're trying to figure out what they need to be on the ice, and they're stuck in this purgatory of Craig Berube wants us this way. We're used to playing this way. Right now we're in the middle, and what way do we go? And I hope that they can find that because there is a happy medium there somewhere, and I think to an extent that's what they were in the cup run. Like As much as we talk about how heavy of a team they were, how they it was a puck possession team. It wasn't that they were just super heavy. They, they maintained control of the puck, and they seemed to be in the opposing offensive zone all game long. And that's one of the issues that I've seen so far this year is there's no real sustained pressure in these second games. Like, they, they are trouble, they're having trouble getting it through the neutral zone. There's sloppy passes through the neutral zone. There's giveaways. They're not on the four check. And this is... Like there, there's players that we can call out individually that have been good at those things. Ryan O'Reilly's been good at that. Braden Shen's been good at it. I think Jordan Kyrou's done a pretty darn good job of that so far this year. Agreed. The problem, though, is that I can name them. The problem is that I can go back through and think in my mind of the plays that have generated offense for this team, and they are all coming from Blues-style hockey, the old um, version of what we expect to be the identity of this team. To Kerber's point, he's right that they don't have one yet. They need to get there, though. And normally you've got 20, 30 games to be able to develop that identity. You don't have that this year. Like you said earlier, you're giving them about 10 games to kind of figure out, okay, what is this team? I think between 10 and 15 games, you need to know pretty Mm -hmm. well what this team's going to be. You need to have a pretty good sense of what the identity is going to be moving forward. And so far, they just haven't been able to find that. A game like tomorrow night, against Vegas will give you a pretty good idea of how far away you are from your identity because they're going to expose any weaknesses that you have in your game. Yeah, because guess what? Vegas plays the way that you should be playing, right? Vegas is that physical presence that will hit you when you have the puck. When you don't have the puck, they'll create the offensive consistency. They'll show you who you're supposed to be. And right now the blues haven't done that because they've played a Colorado team that beats you with speed. They've played a San Jose team that beats you with speed. And now a LA Kings team that beats you with speed. Well, now you're going against a team that can beat you with speed, but also has all of that physical presence. And I was mentioning to you in one of the commercial breaks, the part that really sticks out to me when you talk identity is that, that glue for that bench. And you know, when things go bad, The heads dip, right? Like the momentum is gone and it's hard to build that back up. 
in the past, they've had those guys that can kind of keep the momentum going. Before they took the ice in a period, I was watching on Fox Sports Midwest while I was doing my intermission, and they showed kind of that runway video of the guys lining up before they come out there. And it was a lot of guys just standing there. If you go back to years past, there's guys that are jumping around, screaming, cheering, getting everyone ready to go. They're doing that on the bench. They don't have that right now. So I think that's still feeling yourself out. Like, I still think that is guys like Tory Krug and Mike Hoffman that are learning how this team plays. But frankly, I know these guys have been here all season long, but they're trying to figure out how this team plays because you don't have the faces of this team. You don't have the Steens, who's a leader on the ice and on the bench. You don't have a Bowmeister, who's a leader on the blue They've line. They've got leadership, though. You know, like they got they, they got Shin, leadership. Schwartz, they, they they've they've got guys out. O'Reilly certainly. They they've got guys that can be the leaders on this team. I'm not saying that. Yeah, they have leaders, but what they don't have is they don't have they don't have the familiar faces anymore, right? It's it's putting new faces out there on the ice, and I think I mean Colton Pareko's in a new role now, where he's the Alex Petrangelo, right? I feel like I'm confusing myself a little bit, but. They don't have those familiar faces that they used to when it came to games like that that you need to pick me up. Yeah. Right now, guys need to figure out how they can be the pick me ups, you know? Yeah. I, I think they're missing some of the rah rah. Like, and I don't know how I'm, I always have trouble with how important that is in game. I think that's really important to keep the locker room light. And I mm-hmm. think Kyle Clifford brings some of that from what we've been able to gather. I don't know if they have that guy that is the rah-rah before the games, pregame speech, that sort of thing, the way that they had with Pat Maroon, who immediately comes to mind. What's the value in that? I'm not sure. I don't think that's why they're losing these games. I don't think the the lack of a rah-rah guy is why they're taking so many penalties in the second games of the series. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, though, from the 314. Guys, what are your thoughts on swapping Vince Dunn for Mikla in the lineup? Brings a different skill set. I think we could use another defensive-minded physical presence on the back end. Vince Dunn is a guy that we're going to have to start having some serious conversations about because yesterday after the game, Craig Berube was asked in the post-game uh, interview, what did he think of Vince Dunn's performance? We're going to play this whole clip for you because it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Got to play better. Can't get walked one-on-one. I don't know. I, you know, we'll just we'll, we'll keep that in-house and talk to him about it. That is the entire summation <laughs> of Craig Berube's thoughts on Vince Dunn's performance in that one. He hasn't been good enough this year for them. They needed something more out of Vince Dunn than what they've had so far. And to be totally honest, I would be I would be in favor of that switch in the lineup right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, frankly, because Nico Mikola has been impressive. Your problem now is though you you're starting to run thin on defense. Robert Portuzo, an upper body injury, no update on that. Carl Gunnarsson was taken out of the lineup the other last night. Now we don't know if that was a healthy scratch or if that was some type of nagging injury from the game prior. I will say this. Gunnarsson had four blocked shots in that victory against the LA Kings. And after a win, Craig Bruby doesn't make lineup changes that often, but I mean, he's right. I mean, look, last night was probably one of the worst games for Vince Dunn this season. I mean, he gets walked on that first goal where he tries to lay the hit. I know what he's doing there. It's just, you missed the body. And when you do that, you create a two on one, no opportunity there for the goaltender. But then 23 seconds later or whatever it was, he takes the shot on the blue line. It bounces off a defenseman's leg. And the next thing you know, you got a breakaway with a guy coming out of the penalty box. And from that point, I think uh, Vince Dunn only played like eight minutes and 36 seconds in that first period. And when you have six guys, you can't just sit a defenseman. You need to have that uh, health out there. So 
I'm sure the the coaching staff is going to look at that. If they're healthy enough, I wouldn't be surprised if Dunn's a healthy scratch. But right now, when you get 23 games in 47 days, it comes down to fixing your issues on the ice rather than having a healthy scratch when it's an 82-game schedule. Part of it, though, might be mental for him. I, I think him seeing the game from a different perspective, and we've heard this from other guys in the past as well, maybe that'd be good for him to just sit up in the press box for a night because yep. it's it's been pretty ugly at times, frankly, this season. He's been put into a blender. We can think of too many highlights for the opposition where it came at the expense of Vince Dunn. And defensively, especially when you're in a game like that with Ville Husso in net, you can't give up those types of opportunities. Yep. You just you have to play better than that in front of him. Well, I understand if you're going to have a couple of bad games, I can live with that. But the problem that really irked me in yesterday's game was that shot at the blue line that gets blocked, leads to the guy on the breakaway. He doesn't sprint back. I don't care if you've been on the ice for over a minute. You have to show some effort of getting back. He didn't. I mean, the guy had three whacks after the original save. There's no excuse for that. You have to get back, and especially if you're having a bad game, put some effort in and get back there and try and knock that guy out of the picture to prevent them from scoring on the rebound. We've talked way too much about effort this year, and that is something that in a Craig Berube team, I'm stunned that we're having these conversations this often. Effort yep. effort can't – if you are too slow of a player or you're not great with your hands, whatever it is, I can deal with the physical limitations. And we know where they are, and you deal with it. A lack of effort, that's inexcusable. That That's tough for me to be able to get comes over. back to the attitude, and that's what Craig Berube pointed out. We've heard it now two times after the losses that they're, they're just not putting enough out there, and now we've heard that the attitude's not right, and I think that's why the struggles are presenting themselves the way that they have been. That is Alex Ferrario. He is Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. All right, so we have watched a lot of basketball, football, baseball, hockey games this year that had no fans in the stands. You won't be seeing that in Miami any longer. Starting tomorrow night, the Miami Heat will allow some fans in the stands, and they are doing so by having coronavirus-sniffing dogs to screen fans at the game. That's a thing? This is apparently a thing. I was unaware of this, but apparently this is something that's been taking place at airports in Dubai uh, for recent months. Quote, at heat games, fans arriving for the game will be brought to a screening area and the detection dogs will walk past. If the dog keeps going, the fan will be cleared. If the dog sits, it is a sign that the dog has detected the virus and the fan will be denied entry. Okay. First question I'm going to have right now is how do I train my dog to be a, a Rona sniffer? I had no idea that we had the ability to do this. So you're telling me, all this time, all we needed to do was to go to the police academies and say, hey, can we please, we're going to we're gonna chill out on the drugs for a little while. Instead, we're going to be sniffing out coronavirus. chill out on the drugs for a little while. I know the pot on the streets. We got to get that taken care of. We'll get back to it, I promise. But right now, we got a pandemic to take care of, people. We've got Cardinals games where we need people in the stands. Sir, you have a lot of cocaine on you, but you're free of COVID, so we're going to let you go. We're going to let you go. <laughs> no, I, I know we have police officers listening right now, so text us here, Comfort Service text line 65780. 
Is this a thing? Because you said it was in Dubai. No, so it's taking place in Miami oh, now. Miami. The Miami okay, so Heat Dubai. are about to start doing this. But Dubai's they, been doing it in the past. But are they shipping maybe dogs from Dubai that were trained there? Like, are we training a them ge- in the United States? I believe so. So a German study last year, according to this story, this is according to the uh, Associated Press, a German study just last year found that dogs uh, and other places were 95% correct when it came to detecting the coronavirus. Yeah. That's as that's as effective as our tests are. I didn't even need to get COVID tested when I had it. I could have just had, just had my sniff dog you. sniff me. That's the thing. Like, if that's the case, I mean, we've been doing this all wrong. We need to make sure all of our dogs are getting trained and have them at each uh, building like, you know, stadiums, concerts, restaurants, have them stand yeah. there. It's like a it's like a bouncer, right? But instead of bouncing people, he's going to sniff you. It's amazing because, like, think about the Blues, for instance, right? They're losing God only knows how much money right now by not allowing or not being allowed to have fans in the stands to any sort of real capacity. If they just got a couple of these sniffing dogs... Man. We could get two, three, four, five thousand fans in the stands. The Blues don't have to worry about being flat in the second game of these two game series. Everything's back to normal. To the quote that you had earlier today from Joey Vitale, it's feeling much more humane for yep. the players. Th- this seems like the way to go. The yep. Miami Heat on the cutting uh, the cutting edge of what we need to do to deal with the coronavirus. And again. You know, maybe cocaine cases start to rise in the United States, but at least we're getting through with COVID, right? Exactly. It's all we need. But I, how do you feel if, if you walk in the same, all right, yeah, I'm ready to go watch basketball, and then you just go, oh, sorry, sir, our dog says you have COVID. Fine with me. You should feel thankful yeah. that it was detected early, and now your family is not in jeopardy of you passing it along to them as much and as the it would have been if you didn't know. Is, And the best part about it is there's no of those, there's no viral videos of people like arguing and starting fights. You're not going to fight with a dog because that dog's going to win. That's right? a fair point. Yeah, yeah. fair point. I don't For, know. It just feels weird. You walk in there. Sorry, the dog says you can't come in. Hey, I'll listen to the dog before I'll listen to a bouncer. From the 636, this is called K19 testing. Well done, sir. What do you well have for us indeed. today, my friend? Okay, so let me ask both of you guys this because I, I'm curious, and I mean, we all know BK has weird tastes in food. We learned that oh, from one got to go easy. all the time. How do you make your scrambled eggs? BK, how do you make your scrambled eggs? Uh, I put them into a bowl. Okay. Two to three eggs typically into a bowl. Add a little bit of milk, scramble them up, and then put, put them in the into pan. the pan. Yeah, and what about you, T-Bone? That's basically how I do mine, Is that the too. only way that you can make scrambled well, eggs? I, I thought so, but apparently not. In England right now, they are, uh, I guess it's gone viral a little bit of, of new ways to, or I guess common ways in England to make scrambled eggs. Uh, they do so by putting a glob of butter into a pan. You okay. let that melt. You put the actual egg in the pan and let the egg cook and it'll crack and then the eggs will do it themselves. Interesting. Uh, it basically sounds like a fried egg, though. What is the difference between that, like a fried egg and a, and a scrambled egg doing it that I way? I have no idea. That's The part that gets me is the glob of butter that goes on the pan first. You guys put butter in the eggs? I don't, but that's no different than using like oil. A lot, of, a lot of times if you go to a restaurant, instead of using like the Pam cooking yeah. spray, they'll use oil to cook uh, your eggs. So. I'm telling you, I haven't watched the video yet, but I was looking at the link last night and like just putting the egg on the pan, letting it cook, and then it cracks, and then basically... Oh, yeah. you mean the actual, like without no, like, cracking it? No cracking of this egg. You put the <laughs> egg on the butter and the heat will basically crack the egg for you. Okay, that's different than what I was talking about with a fried egg. Oh, well... Sometimes I don't explain things to the best of my capability, but I might try this later on 
uh, today just to see if it turns out correctly. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 314. Guys, if you use water instead of milk, you can get fluffier eggs. Is this true? Yeah. Do you use water? I don't use water, but I worked at a restaurant that used water in the eggs, and they do come out fluffier when you scramble them. I was unaware of this. Yeah, how about that, PK? Might have to give it a try. Yeah. Maybe next time, just put the butter and the egg shell into the pan and see if that works, too. Uh, no. Uh, so, uh, one for I got you guys, you know, everybody loves doing, like, maybe deer season, going hunting, or maybe hunting duck. How about in Oklahoma, a state representative is trying to get a Bigfoot hunting season? Oh, in- we talked about this on Friday. BK. Oh, come on, guys. BK. No one tells me it's new to the show and I just walk in here. That with was your trial period. And guess what? Wow. You failed because you haven't listened to our show before. We've already decided wow. BK and I are doing a remote broadcast at the Bigfoot um, yeah, convention that takes place. We're going to run in the Bigfoot Marathon. They've got a 5K and, that you can do there. Oh, yeah, the 5K. Thank God. I won't do a marathon. And we're going to get scholarships for people. So T-Bone will send you a uh, Bigfoot scholarship. <laughs> That's Tanner Hendrickson. New addition to the show. He's womp, Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, I want to give some news on Major League Baseball. It sounds like the Universal DH may be on hold for now. I'll tell you why coming up next. Plus, Tom Brady, this was his crowning achievement. We'll discuss it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. some news coming out of baseball right now according to john Heyman, there's been a recent mlb memo that says that the union has rejected a deal that would have included universal dh it would have traded that essentially for an expanded postseason uh, again according to Heyman, the mlb offered union d or universal dh if the union agreed to expanded playoffs they rebuffed the deal which included extra money for players so at least for now no universal dh um, Buster Olney also tweeted about this just moments ago. And according to him, there is an actual explanation as to why they decided to do, the, to do that. The union's perspective has been that the universal DH should not be tied to the expanded playoffs. MLB proposal included that as essentially a trade-off. So that's why they decided to turn it down. I get why the union is taking that position, honestly, because if you're an owner, the thing that holds more value to you than anything right now is getting as much money in the pot as you can. And that pot grows. The one place where you can get that added revenue right now is by expanding the playoffs. Right. Meanwhile, if I'm a player, there's not a whole lot of new jobs that become available if I'm adding the designated hitter. Are there a few players that will be impacted by it? Absolutely. A guy like Nelson Cruz. Now his market goes from 15 teams to all 30 clubs that he could potentially sign with. But it, it's maybe at most probably 10 guys that would get a little bit of a bump this offseason. That's not enough of a bargaining chip if I'm the union for me to give you in response expanded playoffs because that potentially keeps some teams from spending as much as they would otherwise need to. It disincentivizes spending as much as possible to be able to get into the playoffs because the more teams, the easier it is to get into the playoffs, the less I have to spend to get to the playoffs potentially. And also, I'm giving you a ton of money by giving you that extra team in the postseason. So, no, I'm not going to give up give the universal DH 
I get that for this. It's not a fair trade. I get where they're coming from, but I can't believe that we're still having this argument in late January. Well, I can because it's Major League Baseball and the commissioner, you know, has no stance on any of these things and trying to get resolved before the season begins. And that's the most frustrating part about all of this. But the, the more you look at it, BK, this is the holding chip, right, for both teams, not just for this upcoming season, but going into next offseason with that CBA kind of on everyone's minds and what those negotiations are going to look like. This is leverage for both sides. So if I'm the players, I'm not agreeing to the DH until the CBA comes in, because if you want it, you're going to have to give us something. The same with the owners. If we want the expanded playoffs, if you want the money, well, guess what? You're going to give us what we want moving into this upcoming CBA. So that's why it just feels like this offseason is going to be a stalemate in terms of all of these decisions because of what next year is going to have with that CBA. It just sucks because, like, if I'm a general manager right now, put yourself in John Mosellock's shoes, for instance. We are almost to February, and he was the one that just said very recently, about a month ago now, um, January is the new December. Well, January brought nothing. The Cardinals have still added zero players to their 40-man roster that were not on the Cardinals roster last year. So of uh, external candidates that have been added to the 40-man, they're the only team in baseball that has not signed a player to the 40-man roster. How could you? How could you decide right now whether or not you can go out and get Nelson Cruz or go out and get a guy like Eddie Rosario if you don't know right now whether you're going to have a DH next season? It makes it damn near impossible to be able to do your job. And if you're Major League Baseball, the the league side of things here, get that done then figure out what you need to give up in order to get the carrot that is out there of the expanded postseason. Negotiate these things one at a time, but your teams need you to figure out what to do with the DH right now. I still think it's going to get done, but the fact that it's not done and it probably won't be done by February is an embarrassment for the sport. Yeah. That's going to change the offseason, too, because I think then you're going to be waiting more towards spring training opens up if that opens up. I know T-Bone had it in his update to the Cactus League actually saying, hey, can we push this back a little bit? But once you get to spring training and that camp opens up, then I think you're going to get to the point where teams, if they know about the DH or they don't know about the DH, that's when you're going to start seeing a rash of signings. And that's going to be more of those second tier players, right? We've seen the top market guys go and you're going to see a JT Real Muto sign probably within the next couple of weeks, a Yachty, a Trevor Bauer. But those guys like Jonathan Scope and Tommy LaStella and all of these other names, you're going to probably wait until training camp opens up at spring training. That's when teams are going to say, okay, we know now. Let's start hitting the uh, the hit in the pocketbooks and start dropping some money. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, with more teams making expanded playoffs, there could be more buyers or sellers at the trade deadline, which would make baseball more fun, in my opinion. I think it would actually do the opposite of that. I think you would have fewer teams that are willing to sell at the deadline because you're going to have more teams that think they're in it longer than they actually are. So your teams that typically would be right around 500 whenever the trade deadline ends up being this year, they're still going to believe they've got a shot to make it to the postseason because if we go on a nice 15-game run here, okay, we're suddenly right in the mix for one of these wild card spots. And so I, I do think there are some real downsides to potentially expanding the postseason that we don't talk about a whole lot. It does disincentivize some teams. Maybe the Cardinals would be one of them from really going for it in any given season. Because if you have a lower threshold of making the playoffs, what's the real benefit of me trying to get the, uh, the top of the division as opposed to winning 87 games and making the playoffs. I'm still getting into the postseason, So what am I really losing out on here? 
There's some things that definitely have to be considered as you're kind of looking at this. I think it's going to happen either way, but I don't think it's as much of a home run decision as as some would indicate, it, other than for the money side of things, which is all the owners care about. And the DH thing for the Cardinals, too, has I think it has impact on whether or not they decide they want to bring back Brad Miller, who I think they probably should. He he hit you think four, they should? They hit fourth for them in most of the regular season, and yes, he struggled in the second half. But let's not forget, he carried the offense for the first half of the season. And I get it, they're coming off of the COVID issue and the outbreak that they had. I think he's a guy that you could put in your lineup maybe fifth behind uh, behind Paul DeYoung and have him DH. I wouldn't bring him here if there was no DH, but I think he's an interesting candidate. I think that's one thing that Mo has to look at. If I don't have a DH, I'm not bringing back Miller. And if we have a DH, then yeah, let's start talking again. Most of his success just came so early um, that I I would be okay with moving on. I mean, if you look at the final 32 games that he played for the Cardinals last year. He hit 179 with a 675 OPS. He was really just, he had a pretty good 15 games early in the season, and that made his numbers look a little better than they actually were. By the end of the year, he was a guy you couldn't even really put in that lineup. He he started out the year on fire and then cooled off at such a level that I I wouldn't bring him back. I'd I do understand the need for a guy like him, a lefty bat that can have a little bit of power. I just wouldn't go with him as the guy that I would bring. Yeah, back. frankly, they just there's nobody out there right now that you can put in the middle of your batting order that's going to help this team. The only thing you're getting from an infield is probably a guy who can hit in the seven, eight, nine hole, provide you with a little offense, but more importantly, is going to be able to spell. If I'm the Cardinals and I'm going into that free agent market, I'm looking for somebody who is great defensively who can spell a Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, Matt Carpenter, so I'm not overusing them this season. Yeah, or your guy Jonathan Scope, who you can play at any, even if he's not great defensively, you can play him at any of those spots, and I've seen him be an everyday player before. Brad Miller, I think, got a little bit exposed when he was asked to be something that he wasn't. He's not an everyday player. He's a guy that can pinch hit for you, brings a little bit of power off of the bench, but in a typical 162-game season, you probably don't want him starting more than 50 games. But the Cardinals needed him to because they didn't really have any other options there uh, to be able to get through the year. So I I wouldn't go with him, but I do understand the need for a player like that. And it does make it difficult to go, whether it be Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, whoever, it's tougher to sign those guys if they don't have the DH available to them going into next season. It's one twelve. your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including are the Packers really going to move on from Aaron Rodgers after this season? I would say no, but man, it seems like there are enough reports out there that it makes me question it. We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the news of the day yesterday. I don't even know if I can call this news, but the speculation of the day yesterday, which was after the game, Aaron Rodgers sounded strange in his post-game press conference. Basically, everybody that listened to it kind of had the same feeling afterwards of, whoa, was that the last time that we're going to see Aaron Rodgers in a Packers uniform? Here's what Adam Schefter had to say about Rodgers' future earlier today on ESPN. And if Aaron Rodgers wants to go play somewhere else in the state of California or wherever it is, he has the power to do that. Right. It would take a huge set of cojones to do that. It would take a lot of courage. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would upset a lot of people and rub them the wrong way. But if that's what he wants to do, that's what he's entitled to do. 
It's going to be tough for the Packers to make this work. If they were to trade him, it's $32 million against the cap to not to have the right to not have Aaron Rodgers anymore. I don't think he's going to be traded. But if he were to be traded, let's play this hypothetical fun game. Oh, I love these. Where would you like to see Aaron Rodgers play going into next season? You know, we mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier, Matt Stafford to San Francisco. I think I might like an Aaron Rodgers in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Here's First of all, I mean, Adam Schefter talking about it there, playing one of the California teams. I think that's going to be a destination for Aaron Rodgers because he might be the next uh, host of Jeopardy. So if that tells you anything, but... If I'm Aaron Rodgers and I played my entire career in Green Bay, where look, the, you know, Pac Nation has loved him, but maybe you want to go out in the sunset in a nice spot, San Francisco. You know, maybe you can bring some success to that team. Wonder if you do a flip with quarterbacks, a Jimmy G and an Aaron Rodgers flip Love in in Green Bay. But just is Jordan Love him. ready to take over? I don't know. They just drafted him, so I would hope so. Yeah. Well, I I, th- I would say San Francisco would be an intriguing one for Aaron Rodgers, so that would be the one that I'd like to see him go to. I'd like to see him in L.A. Okay, with enough the with the Rams. They can't do it, though. They don't have any yeah. money. Hey, They're already $30 million over the cap. Yeah, sorry, hey. your team just paid all of the money to a mediocre quarterback. Hey. If they, if they got rid of Jared Goff and took on the money from Aaron Rodgers contracts. Jared Goff is going to cost them 30 30 million dollars or oh excuse me. They can't get rid of Jared Goff. <laughs> it's uh it's a lot of money for them to get rid of him. So 22 million dollars just to be able to trade Jared Oof. Goff going into next year. And then you're taking on um like $20 million from Aaron Rodgers as well, you're going to be paying $45 million to your quarterback position. Yeah, it seems unrealistic, but don't you <laughs> yeah. count out Sneed. Les Sneed's done some go back and, weird things in Go LA. back and hope for Wolford to be good this upcoming season, T-Bone. So, hey, I'm a big Wolford fan. <laughs> doesn't it make all the sense in the world that he would go to New England? Why? I don't think he'd like Belichick. If you're, if you're Aaron Rodgers, why would you go there? They have nothing for you. You're better off staying with Devontae Adams. They have the best coach ever. That's fine, but you got nothing to throw to. They could sign some. Allen Robinson, they have $60 million in cap space next no, year. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to stay in Green Bay then. I got a better shot at going to another Super Bowl with Green Bay than I do in New England. Maybe. What about Denver? I think would he Denver's do that? A, I think Denver's an interesting one. I don't know if he'd want to play with Vic Fangio, though. Yeah, defensive minded, older yeah. or old school. I I do think Locke gets flipped this summer. Or, yeah. yeah, this offseason. I mean, or he's it, just a backup moving yeah. forward. I mean, Indy two, would yeah. be an intriguing one too. But I, I I think Indy's in a position to where they're. I don't know. I don't know if they're in a position to take on that amount of money San for Francisco an Aaron Rodgers. Just makes too much sense. It does. They can get rid of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason if they trade him. It's only three million dollars against the cap. That's nothing. They they could do that tomorrow if they wanted to, and it saves them twenty four million dollars. They already have nine in uh, cap space. That's the one that makes the most sense yeah. to me. It, it does just, in terms of what the what the supporting cast is there. The coach is somebody who would get the absolute most out of Aaron Rodgers. I think that's the spot. This is incredible. Adam Schefter just put this out here a little bit ago. So there basically are 15 quarterbacks that are really in question for this upcoming season. 10 QBs in the league are locked in for starting jobs. He put the over under of teams changing QBs at 18. And he said he'd take the over. Wow. So basically you're saying all but two teams are going to have new faces when it comes to quarterbacks. This so let's season. go through this. So the AFC East, it'll be New England and New York. Both will have uh, that switch. 
I'm not going to put the Jets on yeah. my list yet. I don't know I, if I'm putting the Jets on this I, one. Given how many how many guys are out there now, I think they're going to switch. Whether it be Stafford taking a quarterback at number two, Deshaun yeah. Watson, I think they're going to get somebody. Um, you think it's somebody that's going to be starting right away or somebody that'll be back behind Sam Darnold for a year? I think if they make the switch, I think Darnold's not there next yeah. year. Okay. I, I think it'll so be somebody. So those are two of them for sure then. Pittsburgh's one that is up in the air. I'll go ahead and add them to the list and because we been, don't know with Ben. He has Ben Roethlisberger on this list, too, of the questions that are up in the air. Indy definitely will be switching quarterbacks. Yeah. Houston, it seems like, will be switching quarterbacks. Jacksonville will absolutely. We already know what the answer is there. Yeah. Three out of the four teams in the AFC South. Denver, I think, is going to. Do you I guys do, agree? I do, too. I think they're ready to move on from Locke. I, I just, I think it's got to be somebody that's an overwhelming, easy yes. If, and if it's if it's a guy like Teddy Bridgewater sitting there, I'm going to go back to Drew Locke for one more season. What do we think about the Raiders? I, I think Raiders have to. I you, think they're sticking with Carr. You can't go back to Derek Carr after this season. He couldn't get it done for you. And I know John Gruden loves him, but like... He hasn't gotten the job done for you in the last two seasons when you've had the team. And now they emerged this season with Darren Waller, who is a top tight end. You have the running game and you still couldn't get it done. So I'd move on from him. I think that I'm with you, Ferrario, but man. (laughs) Their defense (laughs) was what killed them. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Their, Their offense was pretty good this year and they definitely have some weapons. They're kind of a sleeper for... A guy like Matt Stafford or I don't think Deshaun Watson would want to go play for Gruden, but yeah, I'd rather go to Vegas, though. <laughs> Maybe Aaron Rodgers. Ooh. Maybe. Pretty Maybe close to California. That's, that's not a bad option. Again, I, you're better That's off. what you have to do. Like, if you're going to get rid of Derek Carr, it can't be a yeah. one for one where you're a lateral move. It's got to be a clear defined upgrade. But if I'm Rodgers, I want to go to a team that I know I have a shot at winning a Super Bowl. And I don't think the Raiders are in the position. They're Especially not better than the Packers. Division. Yeah. You know, in their own division, they're not yeah. going to be the best team next year. All right. NFC side of things. So that's the AFC. So far, we have eight teams as possible, but seven that we feel pretty good about okay. with the Vegas Raiders being yeah. the one outside. The NFC is where it gets interesting. Yeah. Washington, we all agree, is going to have a new quarterback. Giants? See, I could see them making a move. I don't think they're they're just happy not with in Jones. A, they're just not in a good draft position to to make that decision. And I don't know if you can throw a lot of money at a free agent when you got Saquon Barkley, who's going to be up for a deal soon. They might have one more year left with him. Yeah. Um, what about the Eagles? Where, where, <laughs> where are we at on Philly? The <laughs> Eagles are the Rams right now. But even if the Eagles move on from Jared Goff, I think it's going to be Jalen Hurts. So I don't know if I would consider that as a yeah. new face. Oh, yeah, Wentz. I'm sorry. Um, so, no, I don't know if I'd put them on this list. Yeah, I, I don't think I would either. I think you're I think stuck. So too. Green Bay, what do we think? I think he's going to be there. I, I think he's going to be there, too. I think this was too. just him caught up in the emotional side of things. I think people are reading too much into his reaction after a tough loss that anybody's going to be disgruntled about. And if he leaves, I think they go with love. So I think it's somebody internal yeah. that, that replaces him. Yeah. Chicago's getting a new quarterback. There's there's no way we're running this back with Tricky Nicky. T-Bone, this guy and Risky Mitch. Trubisky over here, he's just worried about. But yet he led him to the playoffs this year. Oh, wait, if they don't, if they move on from Trubisky, does it count if Foles is there starting again? <laughs> it Foles will not be the starter. It cannot starter. be either of those. Too. They have to move on. <laughs> Foles sorry, was god awful. You have to move on from that. I think Minnesota's going to run it back with you um, have to. Kirk Cousins. Money tied up. Detroit, we now know, is going to be moving on. Yeah. Saints are going to be moving on. Well, He's going to retire. I think Saints are stuck with internal, though, so I'm not putting Ooh. them on there. Saints yeah, are going to do I Hill or Winston, in Winston, so I'm not putting them on this list. We know Tampa's locked in. Carolina. 
Carolina has to. You can't go back to Teddy Bridgewater. See, I think they're going to stick with Bridgewater another year. No way. No way. You got the same head coach. I don't know if you go with Teddy Bridgewater. I think you find somebody else. Atlanta's locked in. Yep. They're stuck with Matt Ryan for one more year. Seattle's locked in. We know the Rams. We are know the Rams in. are locked in. Woof. Arizona's locked in. San Francisco. So the NFC a little bit less so. More more uncertainty. Yeah. Giants, uh, Carolina, Philly. But you've got fewer teams that are like locked in. Definitely going to have new. I think I would take the under. I would take the under two on eighteen. I would say it's going to be somewhere close to twelve to fifteen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't even, I feel like 12 is a little high. I think 10 is about where it is. We had 10 that we feel like are for sure going to have a new starting quarterback next year that is not currently in the organization. And then we had five or six that we were like, ah, maybe. Yeah. So 18 seems really high. Yeah. Really high. I would definitely take the under on that. But it's that's half the league that potentially could turn over Which this offseason. Which is off so freaking exciting. I mean, honestly, like, that's what I want in an offseason. I want excitement. I want moves. I want new looks to a team. And I think the NFL is going to put themselves themselves in an awesome position to go into a normal training camp with a bunch of new faces on their teams. All right. So as we continue here, NFL quick hitters on 101 ESPN, are you guys ready to have the talk now? Are, are we ready to have I've the had talk it already? Has T-Bone had it? Well, I've I, had the talk. Hold oh, on. Okay. Let's, I mean, I got a baby on the way, so I've had the talk. I should have specified. <laughs> are you guys ready to have a serious talk about Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, how they're not quite on the same level you as mean, these elite level quarterbacks? You mean Dan Marino slash Ben Roethlisberger? That, that one. Okay. Yeah. Sure. We, can we talk about how we got a little ahead of ourselves, right, comes, putting him in the same category with Brady and um, Mahomes, Wilson, Watson, cocky BK. Go ahead, buddy. We're good with this, right? Get he on. is a, a peg down a level below those elite level quarterbacks. We agree. I never made such a bold statement. I did. And yeah, I agree. I'll Josh Allen that. is a good quarterback. He is objectively. What we saw on Sunday is why I don't trust him the same way that I trust these elite level quarterbacks. Some of those sacks he, ta- he took inexcusable. It cannot happen. Yep. Took them out of field goal range. A couple of times, just horrible, horrible sacks that lost like 20 yards. He was scrambling and he had like, you could see the wheels turning in his head but he couldn't make a decision to throw the ball. And I mean, that that sack in the third quarter that turned into a punt that should have been a field goal, that was the game. And Josh Allen, much like last season in the wildcard game, lost it for him. It can't happen. And that is the thing that he has to eliminate from his game to be able to take that next step. And I think he can. Yeah, I do. I think he's talented enough. He's a smart enough player. I loved his competitiveness in that game. I loved after the game. I know this is like the body language guy. I loved after the game, the fact that he went up to every single one of his offensive teammates and gave him a hug. Yeah. Say, Hey, good season. We'll get him next year. Right. I loved that. How about Stefan Diggs staying on the field, watching that whole ceremony. If I'm a bills fan. What happened after that game made me feel really good about yeah. the future of my team. Even though he lost, it made me feel really good about where they're going, but he's just, he's not quite there yet. Not there yet. He's close. Would you put him on? Would you put him above Lamar Jackson? Yes. Yeah. Cause that's where I'm at. I think he's right under this Mahomes. Um, Wilson, Watson, Brady, yeah. Rogers. And That's then it comes Josh Allen. Five. And then it comes Josh Allen to me. Last one for you guys. Was this Tom Brady's greatest achievement of his career so far? Getting this team in a pandemic offseason to the Super Bowl after starting seven and five, going on the road three consecutive weeks and pulling them all the way to the, the Super Bowl. Is this the best achievement that he's had so far in his career away from uh away from the greatest co- coach that we've ever seen. I'd say yes. I mean, pandemic offseason, 
whole bunch of new weapons that he has to learn to be around, play under a new system. Yeah, I think it's easy to say this is his biggest achievement. And he went on the road. I think, wasn't this like the first time he's been on the road and he's not had the first round by? It's impressive, especially at his age. Three straight by, three straight road games. First team, time a team that has done that since 2011 when the Giants did it. I need to watch my back so Jamie Rivers doesn't storm in here and punch me in the back of my head. But no, I don't think so. Really? Uh, yeah, for some reason. And look, it was an incredible feat. The fact that he did this on a new team without training camp, without preseason, a new coach. But to me, I was more impressed by, is he coming? You looked behind me, T-Bone. <laughs> I was a little worried. I was more impressed by a Tom Brady victory in the Patriots where he didn't have as many weapons to su- succeed with. Like the fact, I mean, to Tampa because he had Evans, Godwin, Brait, Gronkowski, and then he adds Antonio Brown, the running game. He was surrounded by an incredible offense. I have been more impressed by a Brady championship when he's making plays to a Danny Amendola or something like that. So it, it was an incredible feat, but I'm, I'm not so sure to say this was the one that puts him above the rest. I think it's the one for me. If I was giving one other, I would say it would be 04 because in the stretch to the Super Bowl, they beat Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Donovan McNabb, and that was a really good Eagles team that they beat in the Super Bowl that year. That would be the other one, and that was the three out of four seasons that they won the Super Bowl, the the end of that run early in the 2000s. That would be the other one that I would point to. But the fact that he did this the way that he did, you mentioned it, Tanner, three straight road games. I know there's not as many fans in the stands as there would typically be. But to do this without Bill Belichick, without having a ton of chemistry with his receivers, not having Antonio Brown in this game, by the way, Ronald Jones clearly not at 100%. It's really impressive, and I know that I've become Tom Brady guy. I was not always this way. He converted me. Eventually, there's just there's nothing more that you can say other than to just talk about the greatness. I mean, the throw that he made, we just saw this again right before the half, the 39-yard touchdown. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable that he continues to be able to do this. So I would put this as his crowning achievement for me. I would say it's number one, the best run that he's had. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, there's been a lot of reasons to be down about the Blues over the last 48 hours. Let's give you one reason to be optimistic about what we've seen thus far. Tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Kairou hitting the trailer. Shen shoots, he scores! They won the draw, they broke it in. And as Schwartz crashed to the net, Braden Shen got the pass from Kairou and puts it in. His third goal of the season to lead the Blues in that category. Shen has the Blues on top one, nothing. Jordan Kairou's been the biggest reason for optimism in this young Blues season. Six points in six games so far for him. He's a plus one on the season. And Ferrario, it's real. Like sometimes you look at those plus minus numbers and they can tell you a story that's not accurate. It's not an accurate portrayal of the way that the uh, that, that particular player has played. That is not the case with Jordan Cairo. He's been fantastic and he's being rewarded with ice time as a result. You go back early into the season with where he was. Nine minutes in his first game, then 14, 15, 12, 15. He's starting to be rewarded with more ice time, and we're seeing him get more and more opportunities. 
and he's earning them. He looks like the player that we were sold that he potentially could be, and he's finally making good on all of that promise that we heard so much about. Since Kraber Ubi put that line together, they have been the best line every single game for the St. Louis Blues. And I need to go back and find out what day or what game that was where they, because he did some juggling around because we all remember. Year, yeah. yeah, Kyrou was the one that started on that line um, with Tyler Bozak and I'm trying to remember who the other one was. But when he shifted that line together, it was after the Colorado Avalanche loss. So that first game against the Sharks is when he put those three together. They've been the best line every single night. Creating offense, it seems like they're the only team that is creating offense when they're out there on the ice. And I had asked Craig Berube on that uh, Zoom conference yesterday morning after their uh, morning meeting about Cairo, and he gave a great response. He said offensively, he's got a high-end skill with his speed and puck handling ability, elusiveness. He's using it, but he's working. I think the biggest difference is he's working and he's competing with or without the puck. That's what makes him a good player. That's why he's been promoted to where he's at right now, because he's working harder than any of the other guys out there. If When, when we heard Craig Berube said after that loss of guys just aren't working, I can tell you he wasn't talking about Jordan Cairo. So he has been the bright spot this season, this season for the team. And frankly, there's been a couple of other bright spots like a Jordan Bennington. I think Justin Falk and Marco Scandella have been. But Jordan Cairo gives you optimism moving forward for this Blues team that they're not going to be stuck in a hole when you get to this offseason of what's going to happen with Jaden Schwartz. Do you bring back Mike Hoffman? I'm not saying that Jordan Cairo is going to become one of those guys. What I am saying is he gives the Blues options to be flexible with their cap space rather than feel like they have to be hamstrung because they don't have depth when it comes to scoring. Schwartz, Shin, and Cairo so far this season, when they've been on a line together in five-on-five play, 31 shots for 19 shots against that's a really good margin that they have thus far maybe more importantly 10 high danger chances so those are the ones where you're expecting to potentially get a goal out of it 10 Mm -hmm. high danger chances for two against they're playing both ways they're keeping the puck in the offensive zone they are putting everything at the net they're in the right spots Cairo is playing well defensively we've seen multiple plays but now by him seemingly in every game where he's getting the four check going and that's transitioning into offense we saw from that clip that you just heard he's also involved in distributing to other guys he's making his line mates better yeah something that we thought other players around him were going to have to do for Cairo make him look better by being with them he's actually doing the opposite Kairou is making Schwartz and Shin better by being on their line, which is wild to think about, but it's true. That is the line that's producing all of their offense right now. Now, you'd like to see a little bit more from the other lines for the Blues right now, but if you're looking for a reason for optimism, it's Jordan Kairou, man. It's staring us right in the face. This feels like, and we we have officially, I have at least, I think you are too, jumped on board the Jordan Kairou hype train. Yep. I think this is the breakout season. This is... If it were coming this year, it would look like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how, if or how much it will sustain, but it feels to me like this is sustainable, what we've seen thus far. It is, and it's frankly because he's playing the way that Craig Bruby needs him to. He did exactly what he was supposed to do in the offseason. They wanted him to put on some more muscle. He did that, and it paid off. Because the fact that he protected the puck last night that created that offensive scoring chance... That's why Jordan Cairo was asked to put on some muscle in this division. He has worked on his defensive game. He's talked about that in the offseason. Basically, that off that, that post-bubble conversation that the players have, right, the exit interviews, Jordan Cairo wrote everything down and said, okay, I'm going to work on this, check, 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 and he's good to go. And if you want the telling sign that 
this line is working. It's the fact that Craig Berube has not juggled this line. He has juggled it's the only one. It's the only one. He has juggled O'Reilly and Perron in terms of putting Perron on a line without Ryan O'Reilly. That goes to show you that he wants to get them going. And look, David Perron, I think, is picking his game up now. Ryan O'Reilly scores the goal last night. I think that's just what he needed. Frankly, it's just finding that third piece through those other lines. I think they like what Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman are doing. They're creating opportunities. I thought Hoffman's game last night was very strong because he was taking more shots. You just got to find that third piece. Sanford's not working with that top line. Bozak's not working with that third line. That's the interchangeability that they're searching for. But the fact that they haven't touched that number one line right now of Schwartz, Shen, and Cairo goes to tell you what Jordan Cairo is presenting this team with this offseason. I would like to see Sonny get more time with Robert Thomas. I have made that decision in my mind. I want to see him on that third line. I think that it is time uh, for him to get some more opportunities with them. I like the line of Hoffman, Thomas, and Sunquist. The problem, though, is then what happens to your fourth line? If you, you put, put Bozak it, down there. Right, but it hasn't worked yet. And look, this team's identity... They're not playing them anyways. So. No, they're not. But <laughs> I, mean, I think that's part of the problem, though, BK. Like, you don't have that identity on this fourth line, and we've already talked about what's this team's identity. Their identity is having four solid lines that you can throw out there these last couple of games, it's come down to only two lines that's getting thrown out there late in the game because certain players aren't executing. Can I get to three then? Because r- right now you're at two. I want to get that third line going. Yeah. And I think the best way to get Thomas Hoffman, Thomas and Hoffman to have m- more sustainable success yeah. moving forward, I-, I think, is to put Sonny with them. Well, and Sonny's the guy that gets things going. I mean, we saw it last night. Brewery put him up there with O'Reilly and Perron. We saw him in the first game. Whenever he was, he was with tor- Robert yeah. Thomas, they had a really good chemistry together. Right. So I would like to see those two paired moving forward. Because if you're going to have Robert Thomas on that third line, I know they like getting those four lines going, but you could have three pretty darn good lines yeah. that you have if you've got somebody with Thomas there. I, I just haven't seen... I, I haven't been as impressed by that line as I had hoped to be early I, in the I'd season. I'd like to see... I'd like to, to really throw a wrench into this. I'd like to see Thomas Perron and Hoffman together. Or I'm sorry, Thomas Perron and um, Jordan... God, who was I... Thomas Perron Sanford together. That's where I was going with this. I want to see Hoffman with O'Reilly because we saw a little bit of that the other game. Not a whole lot. On the right wing? On the right wing. Put him on his offhand where he likes to play, but put him up there with Ryan O'Reilly and then insert a left winger there. I mean, you can really pick from the puzzle, but drop Perron down with a Robert Thomas, put him on the off wing, and let's see what we can create there a little bit. Maybe you, maybe you move Sammy Blay up there on a left wing with O'Reilly or put him on that wing with Thomas and Perron but shake some things up on those other two because right now it just feels like it's just stale out there. I'd be fine with putting Blay in for Clifford right now too. I, I know that this is not probably not the series that you would want to do that, yeah. but uh, I think Sammy that's, Blay deserves some opportunities that's as well what I was to get thinking. some offense going. Put Sonny up there with O'Reilly and Hoffman and put Blay with Thomas and Perron. I think you could create some... So you'd take Sanford out, basically. Or move him to the fourth line. Insert him and Cliff, Kyle Clifford, wherever you want to go with that, and then Bozak on that fourth line. But Sonny getting O'Reilly and Hoffman going, two guys that work hard, and then you put Perron there with Robert Thomas and a Sammy Blay guys that work hard as well. I think at least it can create some offensive opportunities. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. 
and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Cross the things over with the fast lane. And we have the great pleasure of having Matt, Brad Barnes yeah, in studio. Look at this guy. Uh, they, they, two Chiefs guys together. They just wanted to annoy yeah, the hell out of you. Gonna say, do you guys just want me to leave so you two can just gush over just this Super Bowl matchup? So I'm just going to go ahead and throw this one out there. Um, Patrick Mahomes has started three seasons. He's won an MVP mm. and he's now been to two Super Bowls. Pretty good. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers has only been to one Super Bowl in his career. So Rodgers won Super Bowl. Mahomes has already in three seasons been to two. Ixo, mm-hmm. Ipso facto, I think we can already say Mahomes better than Rodgers. Oh, yeah, right? oh, definitely. Geez. For sure. The entire career. Yeah, oh, right, everything. Just the three years for Mahomes already just uh, totally wipes everything that Rodgers has ever done off the All slate. right, so I need to be the, the <laughs> voice done. of reason Game here, over. fellas. I mean, look, Rodgers hasn't had Tyree Kill and oh, Travis gosh. Kelsey. Yeah, you're and, right. He had Jordy Nelson. Yeah, yeah that guy <laughs> was okay. Jordy Nelson was not Travis Greg Kelsey. Jennings was pretty darn good. He had a skinny Devontae and fat Adams is amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> he had skinny and fat head. Uh, no. See, this is just, uh, look, you can't just start throwing these better thans out there after three years. Just give I it another year or two, and then you can do it with, with Tom Brady, too, and he'll he'll make that next jump, too, right? What was your reaction <laughs> as you as you see the Chiefs clearly kind of going into halftime, a definitive lead at that point already? I How was, did you feel? I, I was pretty happy. I was nervous about the Bills going in. I think that's the most nervous I've been in the last two years with their playoff matches, just because I felt like that's a team that could absolutely the score. 49ers with scared them. me. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, that's that's fair. And the Super Bowl, I think that came with a different, yeah. um, a, a bunch of different worries. But I, I felt like the Bills could score with them if they needed to. But I think even when they were down early, there was that poise there. There was that comfort level. Because I'm like, I've seen this before. And I almost feel like I'm taking it for granted. Because I'm getting to halftime, and I'm like, all right, it's in the bag. This one's over, coast, cruise mode. And that scares me that I'm to that point, but it was kind of a comfort lead all day yesterday. As a Cardinals fan, Ferrario, I'd be curious if this was your experience with it as well. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I think what you just said is what I'm about to describe, Barnes. This season hasn't been as fun as last year was. No. Last year was everything is new. This is wild. I can't believe they're going to the Super Bowl. Like, they have this Ferrari of a young quarterback. This is wild. I can't believe any of this is even happening. And especially two years ago, that was the first time where I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is what it looks like to have a good quarterback? This This is what it's like? Um, (laughs) This year hasn't been like that. It's been the way that the Chiefs kind of floated through the season is kind of the way that I floated through the season with them. There wasn't a whole lot of emotions throughout the year. It was fun. And the the last Bucks game, for instance, was incredible in that first quarter. But it's it's just kind of been, okay. they're going to get to the Super Bowl. Let's find out how they get there. Is that how it ended up being with the Cardinals in those like basically from 04 through 2013? Did it start feeling that way for the Cardinals? No, because Albert Pujols was there every day and it felt like you didn't know what to expect. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, that's Mahomes for me, though. Yeah. Like, I'm watching for him more than I am even for no, the wins. But it's gotten to the point where Meat just said, like, you're, you, you've been here before. You know it. You're down. Mahomes is going to come back. With Pujols, you didn't know if he was going to hit just one home run or if he was going to hit six in a game. Like, you didn't know. I can equate it more to the Blues of that 18-19 postseason run. Like, that was the most fun I had ever had because mm-hmm. we've never had a goaltender that did what Jordan Bennington did. And then 1920 hit, and we're like, okay. You know, like it, it wasn't the same excitement that it was going through that cup run. So that one makes more sense. But Cardinals, for me, I mean, I mean, I was born in the, the 90s. The baseball postseason is just different, too, yeah. I guess, because it, you've got the series as opposed to the individual right. games where it's like the one-off. 
So it's, it is kind of tough to compare. From that and I mean, I would imagine for some Cardinals fans, I mean, they saw the championships in the eighties for me, like I didn't see anything in the nineties. The nineties were rough for the Cardinals. So that first one, when they went to the world series, 2004, oh, you're like, okay, this is uncharted territory. And this is awesome. And that was two years ago for the Chiefs. And then, in, and then in 06, they win it. And it's like, yes, but then it's like, okay, well, then they just kept doing it because Albert Pujols was as good as he as anybody in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I think Mahomes' first season as a starter, for me, that was more of a fun ride than what last year was. Because last sure. year, after that AFC Championship loss two years ago, the D Ford play, like just heart-wrenching you felt like okay they're supposed to be there they belong and we're going to talk about like the bills later on today and whether or not like if it's kind of in the process to lose before you win and i think that for the chiefs that was kind of it like they lose that game but they're so close they're right there and then the next season when they actually do win the super bowl it's like this is what they're supposed to do this is what we expect the expectations are there they met them and now we're kind of in the same boat. You again. find that missing link, right? Like the Chiefs did that when they lost in the first one with Pat Mahomes. You're like, okay, we found what we're missing. They went out there and they strengthened the defense for yep, the next year, and that's what got into the Super Bowl. Yep. So I would imagine the Bills are sitting there saying, okay, we we thought our the offense. problem is I don't know what they're missing. Like I I don't know what takes. I think it's Josh Allen taking that next step. Like the Chiefs, it was we need a defensive coordinator. We need some pieces on this defense. It was very clear what the fatal flaw was for the Chiefs going into that next season. Do you I need don't more know protection the, for the Bills is then? Is their own line's fine. I, I don't know that they have a fatal flaw. Yeah. I think it's just they needed Josh Allen to take one more step to be yeah. able to to compete with Patrick Mahomes on that stage. And I think I think he can do that, but it's it's really putting a lot of trust into him that he he's going to. Well, and sometimes you just have to accept the fact that you're not the big dog. Like how many t- how you many teams, <laughs> you know, how many teams sat there and watched Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for yeah. decades? Philip Rivers is a, is a prime example. He was a phenomenal quarterback, questionable Hall of Famer, but he took the back seat to those guys because they were that much better. Maybe that's just the Bills moving forward. Barnes, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, my man? We've got all kinds of good stuff. Uh, JR is going to join us at 315. We're going to pick his brain, pick Jamie's brain, try to figure out what's going on with the Blues right now. Uh, a lot of... A lot of Chiefs talk, a lot of Tom Brady talk. Oh, We're going to talk about do you have to lose before you can win? And is this the most impressive run for Tom Brady ever? I think it is. That's coming up from 2 to 6 on the fast lane. I will be back tomorrow at 10 with Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show with BK. Also, BK and Ferrario tomorrow at 11. That's all coming up today on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.